long lost friends Rodeos and late night bands History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage Jimbo, can you believe we got our own theme song now? Well, we've hit the big time now. Boy, that kid, he did a good job. He sure did. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. It's O'Cody over here, and as always, my co-host is with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Hey, Jimbo, good morning. Good to see you. Who do we have today? Hey, Cody boy. It's just another great day in Osage, man. And we got a real special guest today, Cody. Uh, we've got an old friend, uh, seven-time NFR calf roper, Mike McLaughlin. He won the average at the NFR twice. He said in 1985 he set the NFR record for a 10-calf average. Also that same year set the NFL record for the fastest calf ever tied at the NFR. Uh, he's a three-time Texas Circuit champion. He's in the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame. Just truly one of the great cab ropers of his day and uh if the name sounds familiar he's for those that don't know he's the son of eight times world's champion roper don mclaughlin so uh mike welcome to the cowboys of osage podcast man oh thank you uh thank you jimbo uh thank you cody for having me uh well i'm excited to be here and and uh uh, you know, had a chance to tour just a little bit of the museum this morning already and just blown away by what you guys have put together here. It's uh, anybody that knows anything about roping, if you if you get anywhere close to this place, you need to come by and see it. This is this is awesome. This is awesome. Uh, uh, you know, there's so much history here, especially, you know, not just about the roping cowboy, but about cowboys in general. And uh, wow, it's it's great. I, like I say, I, I couldn't be more excited to be here, and it's just uh, really wonderful. Y'all have such great pictures around this place, and uh, uh, you know, well, I, you know, got here yesterday a little bit and had a, had a chance to visit uh, with your uncle Joe a little bit, who spent a lot of time with uh, with uh, our family up in Colorado in the summers, and uh, it was great to see him. So hope he joins us here. Uh, yeah, I think he's supposed to be yeah. coming in here. Uh, I but, saw him poke his head in there for a second oh, there, Jimbo. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, okay great. Okay. great. Hey, I'm just going to get up and check something right there. Just go on, Jimbo. Okay. Mike, let's go all the way back to uh, your dad when he was a kid, and him and his brother Gene, they had a trick roping act. Yeah. Back in New York and Boston Garden. Yeah. Did he ever talk much about that? Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, uh, uh, back when my dad was, you know, six, seven years old, uh, his father uh, got him hooked up with somebody and, and taught him how to trick rope. And my grandfather made him practice every day, him and my uncle both, Uncle Gene. And uh, and they got where they could really trick rope. And, and uh, then... Uh, 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 where they really got famous was going back to New York and Boston with uh, uh, with the guy out of Dublin, Texas, uh, uh, Coburn, mm -hmm. that produced those rodeos back there right. for years. Uh, you know, they'd load all the horses and the cowboys and everybody up on the train. He'd, he'd uh, charter a train back there, and they lived back there uh, on the, you know, back in New York and Boston for two months. Those rodeos lasted, gosh, there were 20-something performances at each one of them. 
And uh, my dad and Gene Trick wrote back there as kids from the time they were five and six till they were almost 20, 21 years old, 15, 16 years straight. And, uh, uh, you know, that's when my dad really got to watching some of the great ropers back then, you know, the, the you know, the, the Troy Forts and the Ike Roods and, and, and uh, you know, the Seawalts mm -hmm. and all them back there, you know, years and years ago. And, and you know, really got him interested. You know, uh, they told him one time that he he was a trick roper. He'd never make a good calf roper, and and uh, he said that that really spurred him on to be determined to. to they be shouldn't successful. have told him that. They shouldn't have told him that. <laughs> you know, my dad was the type. You told him he couldn't do something. Uh, come hell or high water, he'd figure out how to get it done. But but anyway. Uh, no, that's uh, that 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 was his his beginning, you know. Wonder how that helped him with his roping later on. Oh, I mean, you know, I think it I, I think it really helped. I mean, uh, you know, he could you know he handled the rope so good, right? And and uh, that you know he could catch. I mean, you know, and that was the big thing back then was was roping any back then was not like it is nowadays. I mean, nowadays there's hundreds and thousands and thousands of guys out there that rope really good mm -hmm. in in all the events and back then there was just a handful of guys that that roped and there was just a handful of guys that competed full-time and if you could tie all your calves down you were you're guaranteed to win money mm -hmm. and uh and he figured that out he figured out you know look if i can go catch them all and get them tied down i can win money every week and that's what i can do for a living so that that's what he did you know raised a family doing it so right. so anyway can you imagine them train rides out there jimbo the card games they had going and shenanigans oh. happening i mean they had a lot of free time on their hands on that tra train all the way to new york yeah and and you know cuddy um one of the best gamblers on that train was Toots Mansfield. Oh, okay. my dad! My dad told me he said, he said, if you got in a card game with Toots, he said, be prepared to lose some money because this Toots was a card playing son of a gun. Now, <laughs> and I can remember uh, uh, Toots and my dad and and several of them. They'd go back in the in the car where the calves were and get a calf down and practice tying on the train going up there. Oh wow! Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they were playing pitch on the train a lot. That, you know, I don't know what kind pitch. of card games they played. Because you know what, uh, I don't know if if you did it while you were rodeoing, Mike. But everybody I rodeoed with, heck, we played we played cards going down the road. You know, and uh, when I when I was rodeoing, there was a there was a group of bulldoggers, Roy Duval and his crew. It didn't matter where they're at; there was a pitch game going. <laughs> you probably didn't want to sit I mean, down. I mean, those that guys day. played pitch all the time. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know wherever they were camped at, you could bet there was a there was a pitch game going on. So it was. Did you get to travel with your dad much as a little kid? Or? Well, it, it, you know when I was young, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know when I was real young, you know I, I got to go a lot. Um, uh, you know I can remember going to when when we lived in Texas. Uh, I can remember, you know, coming up and going to the rodeos up north with him. Um, when I was born, I had, I've got six sisters. Uh, I had three older and three younger. And during that time, uh, uh, mom and dad would, would go up north and go to the rodeos in the summer, and they'd take two kids, and then two would have to stay with, uh, with grandma and grandpa, my mother's uh, uh, parents there in Fort Worth. And uh, man, those years I didn't get to go. I was bummed now, but but the years I got to go, that was a lot of fun. 
and and you know met a lot of people up there i, I remember you know uh, when we'd go to cheyenne uh you know i got to be good friends with uh john dalton's son jock in fact i need to give jock a shout out he's just like a brother to me and and uh, we've known each other since we were eight or nine years old so we've known each other close to 60 years oh wow and uh his dad was one of the top ropers from up there in wyoming and and uh uh, you know, we were, you know, that was one of the friendships I developed, you know, and, at a young age. And then, gosh, then, then later on when I was about eight years old and we moved to Colorado, we moved to Fort Collins, Colorado. Well, that was only 40 miles from Cheyenne. So me and Jock got to be real good friends then and got to spend time at each other's houses and stuff like that. So that, that was a lot of fun back when we were kids. You know, one time, all, all my best memories pretty much are from places like Cheyenne playing under, underneath the bleachers or going to the carnival and uh, sneaking beer out of the back of coolers out in the parking <laughs> lot, things like that, Jimbo. You know, uh, you know, me and Bryce Davis and, you know, Vin Fisher, all those guys, we were having dummy matches, you know. We'd rope the horns and we'd run left and then we'd come back and tie the horns, put a wrap and a hooey on the horn. Did you guys do that or who, who were you playing with underneath the bleachers at that time that we might well, know? Well, we roped the other kids is what we did. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't healed the other kids. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, but yeah, you know there would be you know me and Jock and and you know even even Roy Cooper was up there some and and uh, oh gosh Ab Deacons his boy Little Ab you know there was Big Ab and Little Ab and uh, oh you know and then Jock uh, uh, Doc Jock's older brother Dan and then his younger brother John Jay and. There, there was a crew back there. You know, there, there was a crew of a lot of kids swinging ropes back there. If, if, you, if, if you hadn't been hit with a rope real hard, then, then you weren't around there much because you got hit. <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys travel up there? Where did you stay when you were in Cheyenne? Did you get a hotel? Did you guys camp out oh, there? We always the stayed out there with the Daltons. Yeah, we, you know, when we, we were up there, we always stayed out there with the Daltons. You had some friends John, up there. John Dalton's okay. place, him and his wife, Ramona. And uh, and then John had let's see John had uh, Dan and Jock and Tracy and Melanie and John Jay and uh, but he had a big house out there and everybody just bumped up out there you know I don't remember it ever being uncomfortable or anything <laughs> there's a lot of us out there though I bet that was good times yeah, yeah it was good times it was good times who were some of your heroes growing up watching oh gosh you know. Uh, you know, when, when we moved up to Fort Collins, Colorado, you know, I was about eight or nine years old. And in the summertime, you know, after after the Ben Johnson roping, everybody, you know, there's about a week or two there, then everybody headed north for the summer, you know, to come to the big King Merritt Memorial roping there in Laramie. And then, you know, Terry McGinley had a big roping over in Ogallala, Nebraska. And then, you know, the, the rodeo at Wheatland, Wyoming had a steer roping. And then there was several others that I'm sure I can't even remember but a lot of everybody started up that way and and uh, a lot of them stayed with us you know um, uh, they didn't actually live with us but they kept their horses and roped with us so I mean I'd walk out and, and rope with guys like Joe Snively and and Harry Lynn and Charlie Lynn you know was a kid like me growing mm -hmm. up and and you know you'd look out there and there'd be Sonny Davis and Olin Young and Walt Arnold and Johnny Miller <laughs> you know Ben's Ben's nephew right yes sir and uh, I mean that's that's who I I grew up out there you know and back then I was young enough I didn't realize you know 
what I was being exposed to, what greatness I was being exposed to as a kid, you know, until till you get older and you look back and you go, wow, what an opportunity I had. I mean, uh, there were some local guys up there that, that roped with us, you know, Pete Simmons, Bob Dent, uh, uh, oh gosh, you know, I'm leaving people out and, you know, I don't want to do that, but... Uh, uh, but there was just, you know, and these guys were up there all the time, all summer, you know, for five or six weeks in the summer, you know, that that's who I got up every morning, walked out and hung out with. And, and you talk about card games now, that bunch like to play cards too. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. And uh, uh, there was another great steer roper, uh, uh, Randy Moore from Omaha, Texas. Yeah, I knew Randy. Uh, had, a bank, had a bank or was president of the bank there. And boy, he was my man because... When he'd bring his horses up, you know, all these other guys rodeoed full-time. Well, Randy had, would have to fly back and, and work Monday through Thursday. And he'd leave his horses there and pay me to ride them. And, and he left me his car. And that was really cool because I had something to drive. He drove he? a pretty nice car usually. Yeah, oh, yeah. He always had a real nice car. So I had a car to drive all summer and, or for when they were yeah. up there. And all I had to do was drive to Denver and pick him up at the airport on Thursday nights or early Friday morning. And he'd come back and we'd rope Friday. And then they'd be off to the, you know, the steer ropings and the rodeos all weekend. And I'd take him back to back to Denver on Monday and he'd fly home and work and then I'd pick him up and during the week he'd pay me to ride his horses I mean it was oh Randy he took care of me (laughs) (laughs) you know you know Jimbo what naturally comes about when a bunch of guys are out practicing together it just naturally happens you're running down the rope practicing tying you're running from the box practicing you know roping match ropings break out match tie-ins break out can you only imagine some of the matches that broke out in their in their practice pen between some of those legends i can only imagine you know they had some they had to have some tie-in contests they had to have some steer roping matches they had to have some calf roping matches people no doubt about it yeah people used to ask me said mike did you get nervous when you rode you i said not really i said shoot i used to rope in front of the greatest ropers in the world when i was a kid you know and they were all messing with you you know oh yeah (laughs) Uh, you know you talk about uh uh, the steer rope and all those guys, we would uh, uh, we'd put a steer on a sled. Yeah. And there we had a couple of night lights, so we we could we could sled half the night. Boy, now when Sonny Davis was driving the pickup, it got a little western, didn't it, Joe? Sonny Sonny might drag off, or he may stop a little short, or yeah, you may string. He's trying a, to get you ready for it. You know, you may string a steer, and Sonny may go to just inching him off a little bit, dragging him a little bit more, teach you how to tie one on the, while you were walking with him. So, uh, but but it, it was pretty fun. Or or if you when you jumped off the back of the truck with Sonny, sometimes you were going pretty fast. <laughs> Man, when you step off your horse, you ain't loping. So yeah. <laughs> that's that's right. You know, we didn't match for money on the sled like that but horrible things hair pulls out of the leg <laughs> kicks in the in the ass Jimbo stuff like that and, and some of those guys they didn't know to turn their their foot a little more and if they turned it too much their their spur would catch you on the inside of the leg you know on the uh, ass kicking matches so <laughs> and, uh, I think that's why I don't have any hair left on my legs today my girls always ask dad do you shave your legs or something I said no sweetie I just didn't tie fast enough at those matches and I got it all pulled out <laughs> but you, hey, mean, you mean and Sonny Davis, what what are your memories of him? He's quite a character, wasn't he? Oh my gosh, you know, great big guy, you know, and that little squeaky voice, and and uh, uh, 
you know, remember him out there in the practice pen one time. He, he had a Palomina horse uh, that he was riding one year, and this is a long time ago. And, uh, you know, he always had to ride a pretty good-sized horse. He was right, a big right, man, right. you know, and tripping steers that were so big back then. And uh, I remember he didn't think old Yeller was going to the end of it quite hard enough. And so Sonny got him some bailing wire and stretched it out and wrapped it back and forth, wrapped it with some black tape and put it in his teeth. And, I've seen those. And he'd get him, a, get him a breakaway. And, boy, he'd run up there and stick it on one and stay there a couple of jumps. Man, when he'd turn old Yeller off, he would be wearing him out with this <laughs> with this bat, this uh-huh. this, uh, this baling wire bat. Doing and some I fine mean, tuning. Oh man, he had old Yeller running off. Now he didn't have Yeller going to the end of it. He had him when he turned him off. This time gun just smooth running off, and uh, and just laugh that little old squeaky cackly laugh. You know, he had oh man. And then he'd come back and kick your butts at the rope and though. Yeah. <laughs> he had him tuned up now. <laughs> How did you guys break away? Now, I grew up, they put a metal ring on my rope, yep. and I had to untie my hondo and bring that metal ring. And we saved all the, the tails of the ropes we broke. We cut off, and we'd unravel it and cut a chunk off. And then we'd pull one string out at a time out of that, out of that strand of rope and tie it. To the from the Hondo to the to the ring. to the ring, and that's how I grew up breakawaying. How did you guys break away out there, Mike? You know, my dad just used a piece of bailing wire and would tie mm-hmm. it solid on one side of the Hondo, take you know, unthread the rope and tie it on one side of the Hondo, and then just make an eye with the with it, and then on the other side just bend it, bend it, bend the. Uh, that's the way I ended up and going, just ha- yeah. and just have it through there. And I know a lot of guys used rings to put it through, and then they just wrap. Some some copper wire through the yep. ring mm-hmm. and wrap it down through the Honda a little bit. You know, a lot of guys yeah. did that. And the rings were old school, and then they evolved into the other. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we just just used bailing wire, and when when it broke, you just undid it and put another one on. Away you went. So. Really, breakaway and hadn't evolved that much through since. No, basically since the, the since the inception of it. Really, it don't sound like we've been using a string ring and bailing wire. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still using string rings and bell and wires pretty much primarily out there. So, yeah. well, you know, I remember. That's interesting. Well, I remember the practice sessions back then. I mean, most of it was breakaway back then. I mean, all these horses, they logged them and, you know, they'd get off and work them on the logs and they'd, uh, and they did a lot of breakaway. But, you know, and they'd tie a few down, but. I mean, if you went to the practice pit back then, if you tied one down, that, that's about it, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah. And, uh, I, re- I remember the, the first steer I ever busted was on the black horse that your grandfather trained and, and uh, that Jim trained and won his championship on that that Harry Lynn ended up with that my dad in, eventually bought from, from Harry and won championships on. And, uh, I, oh gosh, I couldn't have been. I think Joe was there. I think I couldn't have been, but... 15 years old and man i just been bugging my dad you know i want to trip one i want to trip one and finally there was joe and and uh pete simmons was out there and i think sonny and owen were there and walt arnold was there i remember that and uh, finally my dad said well you want to trip one so bad just you know tie your britches on so i got on old black and and they picked me out of steer and that's when uh, they went out far back of where the old uh, where the old western store was he went out far back and just plowed that big pasture up back there and put shoots in one end i think it was like five acres big the arena was and uh 
and they picked me out a steer and got me all ready to go and got my string in my belt you know and and man i run and just stick it on this steer just right and just drop it and turn off you know and man bust this old steer and he's high in the air and boy and i'm just sitting up there watching this steer up in the air thinking boy this is cool you know <laughs> and all of a sudden that steer hits the ground well they forgot to tell me when that steer hits the ground you're going to get a second jerk like you've never got before yes. you know you need to have a hold of the saddle home well i'm just up there riding along and when that second jerk comes old black gives just a little bit and it just ejects me out there about 20 foot in the yeah. air and i land right on my back and i slid from here to joe on my back and old black just caught himself drug the steer right up to me and stopped right where i was laying i got up and tied the steer <laughs> never said whoa or nothing that was my first steer that i ever tripped it, it was it was i remember it to this day and uh, those those all those guys had a pretty good laugh about that well, they, I bet you, you know did. yeah they didn't let me forget that for a long time yeah, that centripetal force when that second jerk hits can be just about as hard as an astronaut training. Really, you got to be prepared for it. Yeah, on cattle back then, you know, maybe not so much now. You, even now, Jimbo, yeah, even well, now, if you ain't bit, ready but, for it, don't. And not ready. If but, you're standing out in that stirrup, not ready for it, this is gonna sling you out <laughs> yeah. right on your head or your back. It uh, it was it was pretty interesting. When did your dad uh, first start the roping schools? You know. Um, we had moved to Colorado. We had moved to Fort Collins, and and you know probably in the in the early '60s, um, he started his calf roping schools. Um, I remember, yeah, probably you know the mid '60s, somewhere yeah. along in there. I remember the first roping school he had. You know, lasted uh, lasted 30 days. Every, you know, guys came. I think there were like 10 or 15 guys, and and you know, it's a camp. They open camp. Yeah, they. Uh, my dad had a deal with a little motel there in town that would put them up cheap, you know, and they'd double up in rooms and they'd rope five days a week and take the weekends off, you know, and uh, uh, most of them stayed the whole time. They didn't go home or anything. And then, then he cut it back to two weeks. It's like a was, rope in college. Yeah. Which was more manageable. Uh, uh, a, t a quick story about, uh, about one of his first roping schools when he moved it back to two weeks. Um, uh, there was a guy from uh, Oklahoma here. His name was Dexter Bailey. I don't know if that rings oh, a bell yeah. with yeah. you or not, sure. but Dexter was a, a top amateur calf roper here in Oklahoma and Texas for years. I, I remember competing against him when I moved back to Texas, and I was amateur. And, and uh, But Dexter came to my dad's roping school when he was just a teenager. And uh, uh, Dexter was, was, was pretty cocky. Mm -hmm. And he met my dad and he said, you know, Mr. McLaughlin, he said, I've never roped with anybody two weeks that I couldn't beat them when I got done. <laughs> and my dad looked at him and says, well, son, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they roped a match roping at the end of every day, at the, at the end of the day. And I don't think Dexter ever beat him. I think they roped one head, three head, five head, and I don't think Dexter ever got him in two weeks. But anyway. Them old guys are hard to beat in just about anything, really. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Who were some of the other guys might have came through that we didn't know? Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, wow. That's, that's a that's a Johnny Crawford, didn't he? Did he go to your dad's school? Yeah, he did. Uh, my Uncle Gene... Um, when my dad moved to Colorado, Uncle Gene uh, had moved his family to California. For those that don't know, Johnny Crawford played Mark 
on the rifleman and played in some other stuff too. But yeah, he was that's what actor. they know him as, 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 yeah. as Mark McCain on the rifleman. Yeah. Historian can't get anything by Jimbo. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, my uncle Gene uh, moved out to California and got in the in the in the acting business, and he was an extra on Oh Bonanza and the Big Valley and all those shows, and then got got acquainted with uh, with Johnny Crawford because Johnny wanted to learn how to trick rope and mm-hmm. and and rope, and then yeah Johnny came to one of my dad's roping schools. I think Gene came back with him and yeah. and all that, but yeah he was quite a guy, a great guy. Yeah, uh, just passed away yeah, here just, about just a, died here within the did, last year or so, and uh, in fact my uncle Gene just passed away uh, about a year ago, and gosh Gene was. Early '90s, he did a lot of cameos and stuff in movies, didn't he? Oh trick yeah, rope? wasn't he in Urban Cowboy? Didn't he do? Some yeah, trick he trick roped yeah, in he uh, in the Urban Cowboy, and uh, he he worked in a lot of films out mm-hmm. there, and and a lot of you know uh, daytime you know the old westerns and right. stuff like that. And when the westerns started to kind of die off, then him and his son Cliff, my cousin, um, uh, the guy that that. Their agent told them, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, action shows coming up. You need to learn how to, to to drive cars crazy and ride motorcycles and stuff like that. So they went out and learned how to ride dirt bikes and, and spin cars around and stuff like that. And they continued to work in that business for a long time. Uh, uh, Uncle Gene... Um, Uncle Gene did uh, a lot of uh, a lot of stunts, and then his son Cliff kind of followed in his steps and and did a lot of uh, a lot of stunt work and a lot of acting and uh, and in fact uh, Cliff's son just did a feature film here a while back was lead actor in it and uh, so yeah they they were in that movie they they were in the movie business a long time out there and and did did very well uh, Cliff Cliff's a great guy my cousin Cliff he's a great guy and. Uh, uh, I tell people, um, I tell people uh, uh, that if Cliff would have rodeoed hard, he could have made that national final several years himself. He was, he could, re- he could get it on. He could stick it on one and get down there and flank and tie one. Now he was, he was a better athlete than I was. Cliff was, as far as just pure ath- athleticism, he was by far a better athlete than I ever thought about being. Uh, but. Gosh, him and Gene, they just, they did so well in that movie business out there, they just didn't want to walk away from that, and I don't blame them. Uh, What's some of the uh, shows they did some stunt work for? Oh, gosh. uh, Dukes of Hazzard? They do any Dukes? I don't know if they did that. Or The Fall Guy, maybe? I don't Uh, know. I'm just throwing some stuff out there. No, um, I know one, um, one movie Gene worked in back in New York years ago, they did, uh, um, they did a uh, a spinoff of The Wizard of Oz. They did a spinoff in New York City, and they called it The Wiz. Okay. And it starred Michael Jackson and Nipsey Russell and Diana Ross. Okay. And Diana Ross played Dorothy, and and Michael Jackson and Nipsey Russell played two of the other characters. But anyway. You remember in the the Wizard of Oz how the the wicked witches had her her flying monkeys that mm-hmm. were, she was yeah. the bad person. That's you know? a scary movie. Yeah, to make. and, and uh, well, well, in the Wiz, it was a modern day Wiz, uh, Wizard of Oz, and they had the monkeys were motorcycle riders, and they had these Harley Davidson motorcycles with uh, the front of them were built with a monkey face on them. 
And so my Gene, Gene, Uncle Gene was one of the motorcycle riders and he was down in there and had his face in one of these monkey deals, you know, and they were chasing Diana Ross up and down the steps of Shea Stadium, you know, football stadium <laughs> yeah. out there. And, and he, he worked in that. Now, you didn't see his face, obviously, but he was one of the motorcycle riders in the Wiz. And, uh, but, yeah, they worked in, you know, a lot of stuff out there. I tell you what, Cliff worked in a lot of uh, uh, the more modern-day Westerns, you know. Uh, uh, Cliff did a lot of stunt work in uh, Dances with the Wolves uh, uh, with, with Costner. I think, he mm-hmm. did some, I think he actually did some writing for Kevin in that. Now, I hope I'm, I'm, I hope that's correct. Oh yeah, uh, I think he probably wrote half the movie, all the good scenes. I imagine, <laughs> but uh, uh, but but no, Cliff. Listen, Cliff. Costner, that's wrong. <laughs> this is how we need to do it. That's <laughs> but, why he won the Oscar on the deal. That's what I'm right. thinking. Yeah, we'll give him credit. But uh, but no, Cliff. Cliff, uh, like I say, great guy, good friend of mine. Me you and know, my cousin out there, and just think the world of him and his family out there. Got some got some great boys, and and uh, I actually. Uh, Got to see G- Uncle Gene uh, uh, a couple of years before he passed away, mm-hmm. and uh, we were out there. Me and my wife were out in California on some business and stopped in and spent the day with him. It was it was really good to see him. You know, yeah. uh, gosh, he was he was. Not, I think he was almost ninety then, and he'd still load his uh, uh, hook his trailer up, load his head and horse, and go over to his buddies and they'd team roll. He'd go by himself. You know, I mean, he was still real active. He wasn't bigger than a New York minute, but you know he he uh, he was still small in stature, but he still he still loved to rope. I mean, man, there was nobody that that loved roping more than than Gene McLaughlin did. <laughs> what about James Conn? Did they ever run across him out there? Yeah, they did. I they just did. found out he was a roper the other day. Yeah, Jim they, Bell, they you know. did. Um, I tell you, <laughs> yes, they ran across him. I tell you, he used to go. Uh, uh, out there to their place and rope and and they showed him how to rope and everything was patrick swayze yeah swayze yeah yeah no kidding you know he he loved horses and rode all the time and uh uh he used to go out there and hang out and and uh with cliff and gene they'd show him how to rope and 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 stuff like that and i'm trying to think who else but i would have made patrick swayze mad he'd have beat me up (laughs) jimbo yeah he'd have pulled a roadhouse on me yeah Uh, but uh well, you grew up around all that and everything, and then you decided to be a roper. What co- what made you be a cap roper, not a steer roper? Well, when you fell, got jerked off the horse. That time? <laughs> no, you know, my first love was always the calf rope. Right. It, it just, you know, it, that's that's what, you know, uh, you know, that's what my dad did, you know, and until, you know, for years. So it, I don't know. It was just my first love was the calf right. rope, and right. and. Uh, um, you know, I lived there at home, and and you, when we moved to Fort Collins, I was born in Fort Worth, and when I was eight, we moved to Fort Collins, and and uh, uh, so I, you know, I grew up, you know, going to the high school rodeos, and you know, a few amateur rodeos up there, and stuff like that, and uh, uh, but didn't get into a lot of competition. You know, I mean, they're just, you know, Kefrop was still kind of early stages up there. And uh, and that that's one of the reasons my dad moved up there is because there was a little, lot of opportunity, people wanting you know to come to the roping schools and needed horses and stuff like that. And uh, uh, you know after high school, I, I had a scholarship and a rodeo scholarship at uh, in Pueblo, Colorado, and lived with uh, Doug and Lane Johnson uh, from Colorado Springs. They had a little place down there in Pueblo. Uh, 
and we all lived together and wrote together and I went to college there three years made the college finals all three years I was national champion in 74 the last year they had ribbon roping in college and then I won the calf rope Roy won the calf roping in 75 Roy Cooper and then I, I won it in 76 and uh, so two of the three years I college rodeoed I was a national champion and enjoyed those days and uh, uh, that's really doing something a Colorado boy being a national champion against all the Texas all the Okies yeah but I'll tell you I, I, I'll tell you a story about that um, when I was about 17 years old they used to have there was a guy in Stephenville Texas his name was Terry Walls and Terry Walls was a roper and then ended up becoming a big rodeo stock contractor. Yeah, I know Terry. Guy. His boy yeah. ropes real good. Oh, did, yeah. You know, he yeah. was a heck of a Trent Walls. Trent. And then Delia, I know her. She's a great lady. Yes, absolutely. But uh, Terry had built an indoor building there in Stephenville. And every year uh, he had a New Year's Eve rope. And it actually lasted two days. And it was right before the first PRCA rodeo of the year at Odessa. And so... He had a big New Year's rope in there at his building, and it was a 10-header. You got five on Saturday, or, or five one day, five the next day, however the days fell on that New Year's holiday. And uh, that was back before there was any handicap numbers or A-B ropers or anything like that. If you wanted a rope, you just went and paid up and roped against whoever showed up. Well, at that rope, and they had, I went down there with my dad, and they had probably 150 ropers in this rope. And I mean, there's, you know, there's Junior Garrison and, 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 you know, Roy Cooper was about 16 years old riding his little gray horse, you know. I bet they had a big Calcutta with that, too. I don't know if they had a Calcutta. Well, they should have. But, uh, I mean, there's Junior and, and Willard Moody and Don West and, and, and Richard Stowers and, and every, you know, World's Cha Ernie Taylor. I mean, just, and every tough amateur in the country, you know, it's Tom, Tom Walker, Jim Fuller. I mean, just you can, and I'm, you know, I'm leaving out hundreds of guys. But that was my first real exposure, you know, to what I call real calf roping. When I got down, you know, down there and spent two days watching all that, I mean, they broke the five head roping and then they broke match roping until the sun came up and then they'd start the, the jackpot again, you know, to finish it. And, oh, my gosh, I was blown away. I mean, I thought I could rope. I thought I was a pretty good calf roper until I got down there, and I found out that I was, like, nowhere near in these guys' class. I mean, there were guys I'd never heard of before that could rope ten times better than I could rope. <laughs> and I mean, there were some bad son of a guns down there. And I, and I right then, I knew, you know, if I'm ever going to be competitive or, or rope calves, you know, at, at the professional level, I, I got to live in Texas. I got to be down here where this is at because they do this all the time. You know, they, they go to these kind of ropings like every, every week, you know. And uh, uh, four years later, I, when I was 21, I moved back to Texas. I moved back to Fort Worth. And uh, when I moved back, I, I just amateur rodeoed uh, uh, a couple of years and got a little more size and a little more experience. Uh, uh, got in with one of the best amateur cowboys at the time, uh, Jim Fuller. He went on in, in professional rodeo too and made the NFR. Uh, but at the time, he was he was early in his career, and and I got in with him because gosh, when I moved back down here, I didn't know anybody. And uh, got in with Jim, and he knew wherever rodeo, ever jackpot was. All I had to do, uh, <laughs> it's a funny story. Uh, um, 
when I first moved back down here, I was at a roping and he came over to him and he said, who are you rodeoing with? And I said, well, nobody. And he said, well, would you like to rodeo with me? And I said, oh gosh, I'd love to. I, you know, he was, to me, he was famous. And he said, well, here's where I live. He said, you just need to show up with your horse and your rope can and your, and your clothes bag every Wednesday afternoon. He said, don't worry about anything else. We'll be back late Sunday night. <laughs> so for, for a couple of summers there, I got to rodeo with Jim, and that, that was great. But I am at your down here for a couple of years and then, or in, in Texas and uh, got a little more size and a lot more experience. And uh, I remember, you know, during those days, I wrote for money five days out of the week. I mean, I hardly, I didn't practice much. I mean, I just, we, we rodeoed for money. We were a roping or a jackpot somewhere every day. And uh, then I got my card, I got my PRCA card and uh, started kind of rodeoing around Texas a little bit, you know, kind of getting a, getting a feel for things. And, uh, uh, I'm, let's see, that, about 19, about 1979 is when I, is when I got, 78 or 79 is when I got my, my PRCA card. And then, um, where'd you fill your permit at? Well, you know, it's funny. I didn't fill a permit. Back when I was about 16 years old, my dad just bought my card for me. All you had to do is get some guys to sign for you. And I had my card. And that's back when you couldn't amateur and pro rodeo at the same time. You couldn't do that. You you were either in in or in or out. And so when I was living at home, I had my card so I could go with go with everybody and bust steers, you know, and and, and all of that. But uh, when I went off to college, uh, I, I turned my card in and you know uh, didn't get it back until the late 70s. So I went there about five or six years where I just amateured, which is where I needed to be, to, you know, to mature and and uh, get a little more, just a little bit more size and a lot more experience and uh, in competition. I mean, I grew up roping and all that, but where we where I grew up, there just wasn't the competition there like there was, you know, down in Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, if you were going to be a, a, a calf roper, you need to be in Oklahoma and Texas or Texas and Oklahoma, however you want to say it. But uh, uh, but the first year I had my uh, my PRCA card uh, down there, I was rodeoing around there, and uh, um, uh, the next year I decided, well, you know, I'm 79, I'm going to take off, and you know, when the summer run starts, man, I'm going to go up north, and so I was riding around a rodeo, I think at Gladewater, Texas, or somewhere before the big summer run up north happens, and. Uh, and I was talking to Tom Ferguson, and you know Tom was the world's champion all-around cowboy at the time, and you know he was he was the man at that time. You know him and Roy, they were the guys. And uh, I was talking to Tom, and I said, "Yeah, I'm getting you know getting excited about going up north for the summer." And Tom goes, "What are you going to do that for?" And I said, "Well, you know all the good rodeos are up there." He said, "Well, Mike, you can't beat us consistently down here. Why would you want to drive thousands of miles up there?" And butt heads with us, <laughs> and man, he hurt my feelings. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and but I got to thinking about it, you know, and and I got to, got to kind of thinking about what he told me, and 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 he was right. So that summer, I stayed in Texas. He told me, he said, you need to stay down here when we all leave. He said, you need to stay down here in Texas and rodeo and make the circuit finals down here and go to the circuit finals, get a little more experience, and another year or so, you'll be ready to come on up and mix it up and rodeo full-time with us. 
And so that's what I did. And like I say at the time, old Tom kind of hurt my feelings, but it was the best thing that ever, best thing any, anybody ever, ever did. One of, one of the best things that, this best advice I ever got. Listen, you know, at that time in my yeah. career. And, uh, uh, you know, Tom was one of those guys that, uh, he was a no-nonsense guy. He was serious about what he did and his record shows it. And, uh, uh, but if you ask him a question, he was going to tell you the answer whether it hurt your feelings or not. He was going to tell you what he thought whether it hurt your feelings or not. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was good. It, it worked out. You know, the next year I, I went up north and I didn't make the finals in 80, but uh, I was pretty competitive. And then uh, the next year in 81, I made the finals in Oklahoma City in 81, 2, 3, and 4. And then, uh, uh, like, uh, like you said, Jimbo, I won the average in 82. And uh, then in... Uh, then, uh, in uh, 85 is when they moved them to Vegas, and I won the average out there the first year they had it at Vegas in 85, 86, 87. And, uh, uh, you know, I was listening to Roy's, Roy mm -hmm. Cooper's podcast, mm -hmm. you know, and he was talking about, you, Jimbo, you'd ask him, you know, about the, the setup in Vegas mm -hmm. when he went out there, and Roy said, you know, he kind of thought trouble. he, he kind of struggled, struggled with yeah. it at first, you know. And... Uh, uh, that first year out in Vegas, me and him both rode the same horse out there. We rode a sorrel horse at uh, Willard Moody Hall for years called Old Charlie. And uh, we'd sent the horse um, before the finals that year. We'd sent him over to Richard Stowers at Tishomingo to tune up for us. And, man, Richard had him about two weeks over there. And, boy, when, when we took him to Vegas, his horse was on a stem twister now. He was so perfect. It was unbelievable. And uh, uh, But really kind of got tapped off bad. But... But that quick setup kind of fit me, and when I think back on that, um, I, I kind of go back to something my dad told me when I was about 13 or 14 years old. You know, that's back when they still wrote big calves, and you run them down the pen and set your run up and got you a good go at them, all that. And he was encouraging me when I was real young, 13, 14, 15 years old, you know, to learn how to come across there and right there and said you need to learn learn to rope one when he sticks his head out of that chute he said because someday that's where rodeo's calf roping's going it's going to get faster they're going to shorten things up and it's going to get quick and he said you, you're going to have to learn how to come across there and be in a position to rope cattle real quick one two three swings and man in 1985 when it went to vegas i mean there it was i mean his prediction came true because it was a you know one two and you better give it to them because you're running out of arena in that little basketball in that little basketball thing you know and uh, but yeah me and Roy both rode old Charlie out there and uh, uh, you know I got tapped off good and and Roy got tapped off bad but he came back and made a real run at the title there him and Joe battled it out right to the last calf and. Uh, I was kind of in the background, but I won the average, and that was cool. And, and uh, uh, I remember in, in in '82 at Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City, man, they you know they can think, you know, what was it like at Oklahoma City during the finals back then? Everybody kind of can get a feel what Vegas is like now. Mm -hmm. I mean, going from Oklahoma City to Vegas. It just had to be a big culture shock and everything for all the Cowboys and everybody involved and everything. I can only imagine. I don't even know what went on during in Oklahoma City during the day and after the rodeo at night. What what happened there? You know, it it obviously they had a had a trade show there at Oklahoma City, but nothing like they they do at Vegas or even then even the first year they had it at Vegas. You know, it was so much bigger. But. Uh, 
You know, it's, it seemed like back then, you know, uh, the Cowboys back then, you know, it seemed like, you know, you rodeoed all year long and you needed to be in that top 15. If you were doing it to make a living, you needed to be in that top 15 to get to go to the finals to run at the, what we call the big money back then. And uh, so I think most of the guys back then were, you know, they took it easy during the day and tried to take care of business because that's how, you know, that was their, their year-end bonus. You know, that's how they actually, you know, a lot of guys, that's what they bottom line at the end of the year is what they can win in those 10 days at the, at the NFR. So I don't think you saw as much, you know, uh, partying and activity going on as there is in Vegas. And uh, uh, not saying those guys – party because those right. guys take care of business a lot of business they mm-hmm. you know with their sponsors and stuff man those guys are really busy out there i, I admire them you know mm-hmm. they really manage their time well out there and still be able to compete but in oklahoma city yeah it was just a little bit more laid back i loved it you know uh, when i went it was at the myriad downtown and uh, i love the fact you know that everybody stayed at the same hotel so you got to know a lot of the other guys i got to know the saddle bronc rider brad germanson you know back then and you know, you just didn't get to cross paths with those guys a lot during the year because we were traveling so much. I mean, there wasn't a rodeo rule back then. You go to as many rodeos as you want to. I mean, we were going to 100, 125 rodeos a year. And you know, there probably wasn't the hospitality tents and things like oh, that God. for everybody to oh, sit gosh, down and eat no. and probably get to know each other a little better You know that way, too. Um, uh you know, uh, it, it, it it was different. Uh, I love the arena setup at, at the Myriad. You know, uh, it, you still had some length. It was still a pretty good size arena. They could score the kids out there, kind of like you'd see at the rodeos throughout the year. So the setup was was more familiar. Uh, you know, obviously when they moved to Vegas, it got quicker setup. But uh, but I loved it at Oklahoma City. I really did. You know, uh, uh, you know, I love the fact that you know. You went there and you're competing against the the other 14 best calf ropers from that year and it's all even. You know, the calves are as even as they can be. It's all during the performance. It's all right there. There's no slack runs. There's no, I got a wet run or a dry run. You know, it was all right there and and I like that. That that was fun. Uh, uh, My first year uh, that I made the finals in 81, about halfway through that year, I was I was in the top 15, but I lost my horse. I lost my ride, and uh, so the rest of the year I was just kind of a, a rope can cowboy, what they call back then. I just had my my clothes bag and my rope can, and I'd get to them and see what horses were there and just catch a ride, you know, and pay mount money and all that. And uh, um, and uh, when the year was over, I, I won I won the last big rodeo of the year that year at the Cow Palace. Uh, uh, Butch Stoneman hauled his great horse, old Wit, out there, and I got to ride Wit out there. I'd rode him a little bit before, but I got to ride Wit out there. And uh, but you know, gosh, it's just you know a couple weeks before the NFR, and I still don't know what I'm going to ride at my first NFR. I'm 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 a foot. And Roy Cooper called me one day, and he goes. Hey, how you doing? He said you've been roping. I said, yeah, you know, been practicing pretty hard. And he said, maybe you getting excited about your first finals. I said, oh man, Roy, you know, dream come true. You know, uh, get up there and compete with you know guys like you and and uh, and uh, uh, you know and like I say, we'd known each other for years. And uh, he said, what are you going to ride? And I said, man, I don't know. I said, I'm still kind of in a bind there. And uh, that year he was he was riding a wit and. Uh, 
And he said, you don't know what you're riding yet? And I said, no. I said, I'm, I got a couple other options, you know. And, and I told him, he said, oh, man, you don't want to ride him. He said, he won't, he won't fit up there, you know. And I said, okay. And he said, I'll call you back in five minutes. He, you know, I hung up. In five minutes, he calls me back. He said, you want to ride a wit with me? And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> Not only yeah, but hell yeah. And he said, I just called old Butch. He said, we can both ride him up there. And I said, oh, my gosh, you know. So I've been indebted to Roy Cooper my whole life for, for, for mounting me at certain times in my career, you know, especially that first year at, uh, at Oklahoma City and then uh, – and then uh, the first three, those three years, I, I rode old Charlie at, at Las Vegas. Roy owned him and let me ride him, and and uh, uh, he was one of the best horses out there in that building. He would, he could, he scored so good, stand flat footed and just run across there. And uh, uh, you know, that first year, me and Roy run twenty head on that horse in that building at Vegas, and we never left the building, never scored one, never freed him up or anything, and. Boy, Richard Stowers had him tuned in. I mean, when you drop the reins, he's trying to throw dirt clods in the ceiling and get across there and give you a throw. Uh, there, I mean, there's a ton of how many cats me and Roy wrote two swings out there, and he just kept backing in there and running. Never never tried to cheat us on a throw or anything. He was, he was a great horse. He was, he was, he was, to this day, he'd still be a great horse out there, you know. They don't come around, they don't come around no, like that they really often don't. anymore. Uh, uh, you know, and like I say, Roy, Roy let me ride old Charlie out there and made me a lot of money. <laughs> you know, that seems crazy to me. I'm sorry, Jimbo. Right. But, you know, now they got state-of-the-art trailers. They haul them in, and they got all these things to keep their horses going better. But they don't last as long. I, I can't figure that out, Mike. But uh, Well, I, I think some of it has go has, goes back uh, to – to the breeds of horses. I think back back years ago, those old foundation quarter horses, you know, were a little bit more cold-blooded. They were just a little bit calmer and tougher and what I call kind of cold-blooded. And, you know, they weren't quite as smart. You know, it might take you two or three or four years to make one, but once you made him, you know, I laugh, I say he was too dumb to figure out how not to do it. Yeah, they, they took a, they took a long time to make it. then compared to now too, but But nowadays, you know, they the breeds are you know, the, the horses are more athletic, they're smarter, they're 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 faster, they're quicker footed, I mean everything. But being smarter, you know, uh, uh, especially in the calf roping, you know, a horse is not built to stop and back up. Mm -hmm. Horses built to run, <laughs> and when we when we ask them to stop and back up, you know that's not natural for them. It kind of hurts. That's what Jim always said. You're asking more of a cab horse than you are a steer horse. Yeah, that's why you want them fresh. And you know? and, and and I and I believe that you know in today's world these horses are smart enough to figure out you know whoa this hurts you know kind of figure out how not to do this so good sometimes you know and uh, but these guys nowadays and the horse training nowadays is to me is is progressed so much uh, the jerks the horses take and the size yeah. of the calves and yeah. things like that's yeah. drastically changed yeah but still but still it's the miles in that trailer that, that that's hard on them and 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 you're right you know the the rigs that they have nowadays with the with the the better trailers and the better axles and the, and, and and all that makes it easier on a horse when when they're going those miles it, it really does and uh I, I I think that's why you know, but you still see some great horses nowadays that last a long time, you know, uh, those ones that that just you know they have it and they're going to continue to do it no matter what. 
And uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I'm still a great rodeo fan, especially a I am too. Fan. I'm thinking about some great yeah. horses right now. Texaco of Trevor Brazil. Oh my God! You know, yeah. holy moly! They I saw at that uh, quarter horse show they had in a few years ago in Fort Worth or somewhere. They took the bridle off of him, and then old grumpy yeah, old and Brent Lewis. They did the same thing, but he did it. <laughs> he did it for big money and big and, and big accolades at yeah, the that was national gr- circuit that was finals. That's grumpy at the circuit finals. National circuit finals yeah. up in Pocatello, Idaho. Did you ever go to that, Mike? Yes, I did. I, I qualified for the for the national circuit finals one year up in when it was in Pocatello. Uh, don't remember doing very well there, but uh, but yes, I did qualify and go up there one year. What about the Cow Palace? You know, being a steer roper, you don't get a chance to go to, but you read about a lot of these rodeos, some historic rodeos and some things happening at them. What's it like a rodeo in San Francisco? <laughs> you know, it's just a big indoor rodeo. Uh, you know, it, it, you know they, they had the slack, uh, you know, four or five days before the rodeo even started, and uh, uh, the first event at the at the rodeo was the jumping, the jumping horses, and that took about an hour, hour and a half, and then then they would start the rodeo, you know, and uh, so it, it it was a unique rodeo, it really was. Um, uh, Do I remember like people used to dress up on Halloween there or something? Uh, yeah, thing? they used to. I have, can't remember. No, I just remember you, as a kid seeing some of this stuff. Cody, you're exactly right. I do remember that they called it the the buck and ball. Oh, okay. They called it the buck and ball, and uh, the cowboys would have a big Halloween party out there and dress up, and it'd, it'd get a little western, you know. I can only imagine what's going down oh there my in San gosh. Francisco. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Holy. You boy. know, and it was the last rodeo, one of the the last big money rodeo of the year. Blowing so. off some steam. Well, and and all those guys down there on the bubble making the NFR, man. That's that's a big rodeo for them. I'm, I remember one year I was on the bubble and. Uh, uh, I loaded my horse in Fort Worth, Texas, and drove straight to San Francisco by myself to have my own horse out there, you know, to make sure I, I stayed in in the in the top 15. And I think I won second that year. But man, it's a long way from Fort Worth, Texas, to San Francisco, California by yourself. <laughs> I've been there to Pendleton when it was the last <laughs> yeah. rodeo before. It's and, a long uh, ways home. Uh, it's a long ways home when you're 16th after uh, the end of the I year. I tell you what, back then, you know, radio was not much, and you didn't have cell phones. You had a lot of thinking to do. Uh, <laughs> as, as Dr. Daniels told me one time, he he said uh, he said I rolled my window down and turned the air conditioner off and got my mind on calf roping. And <laughs> well, when you got those kind of long drives, you can get your your mind on calf rope and I promise you. <laughs> I bet you've got some good travel stories. What was the one you was telling Joe yesterday about Roy Cooper when y'all had so much trouble? Oh well that gosh um, we were we were up north rodeoing and we were at Nampa, Idaho. And um, after the fourth of July run and by the time you got done driving back and forth to Calgary a couple of times, when Nampa rolled around you had a little bit of a break, you know, you could uh, you could, you know, rest for two or three days and stay right there at Napa, you know, before it got busy again. Then you were off to, you know, Salinas and and Cheyenne and Rock Springs and Spanish Fork and Salt Lake and Ogden and all them. But but during Napa, uh, you had a little bit of a break, you know. And uh, we used to go out and and uh, spend time at D Pickett's house. Uh, D lived there right outside of Napa, and so that was always fun to go out there and hang out. Some some rough ass basketball games went on out there. Yeah, <laughs> if if you want to play a little little basketball and get beat up, just go out there to pickets. Uh, they they tune you in. And uh, but anyway, during Napa one year, we were uh, uh, Roy came to me and he goes, 
hey, he said, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He said, there's a guy that's uh, got about five or six paint horses qualified for the paint nationals in Oklahoma City at the old fairgrounds. And he said he called me and, and wanted to know if me and, and somebody that I pick could come down and ride him and show him for him at the, at the paint nationals. He said, man, he'll pay us good, buy us plane tickets, you know. And he said, I figured it out. We can, uh, we'll, be at, we'll be at Longmont right there by Denver at the rodeo. And he said, we could take off and leave, leave, uh, leave Denver and fly down there to Oklahoma City. And he said, we could enter Weatherford, Texas rodeo that night and he said we could show those horses that morning at the show then he said we could drive down there to weatherford and he said then the next morning we just go back to dfw and get on a plane be right back up here won't be gone long and i said i said okay you know I, i'm in sound like a good deal you know some guaranteed money you know yeah uh, that's always nice and uh, so sure enough we get down to longmont and we fly down there to oklahoma city that morning and get over there to the fairgrounds and meet up with our guy and you know, get our horses and everything, and and uh, like all horse shows, they take a whole lot longer than you anticipate. Well, by the time we get done showing all these paint horses, uh, it's too short of a time for us to drive from Oklahoma City to Weatherford, Texas, to make it for the performance that night. So. Roy didn't phase him at all. He says, man, I know a guy right here in Oklahoma City's got a little plane. He'll just fly us down there. He makes a phone call. 30 minutes later, we're in there, you know, and uh, on this little three-passenger airplane, you know, and Roy says, oh, man, this will work out perfect. He said, there's a little runway, little airport right beside the rodeo grounds there at Weatherford. I said, okay. I didn't quite remember it that way. But I said, okay, you know, and we got close to Weatherford. I went, Roy. Isn't that little runway right close to the to the rodeo grounds at Mineral Wells? And he goes, "Oh yeah, it is, isn't it?" Which Mineral Wells is only about yeah, thirty miles right away. There, yeah. So we land at the Weatherford little private Weatherford Airport. There is nobody there. I mean, back then there's no taxi cabs, there's no Uber or anything Nothing. like that. You know, no we don't cell have anybody either. lined up to come get us. You know, so we get off this plane. This guy turns around, takes off, and there we stand. You know. <laughs> It's like 7 o'clock, rodeo starts at 7.30. So we schlep down the, the hill down there to the interstate, cross, walk across the interstate to get on the right side of the interstate that goes into Weatherford. Yeah. And we're on the access road with our thumb out and our rope cans in our hand. And pretty soon this, these two couples come by in a little Jeep, little one little Jeep Wagoneer, and they go, y'all need a ride to the rodeo? And we go, yes, we do. So we, they said, we don't have room here, but they lifted the back hatch up, and we got back there, and we were sitting there with our feet dangling out, and they got a cooler of beer right there in the middle of it. Roy opens that up and says, man, I just love it when a plan comes together, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> He's having a great time. It's 7.15, I'm nervous, don't even know what we're gonna ride, you know? And then Roy told the story about when we got to the rodeo, um, there was a, a Carol Goose Tree was there with a, with a little horse called Old Fly that Roy had, that Richard Stowers had raised and trained and sold to Roy, and Roy had sold it to Carol to run barrels on. And uh, so Roy goes and gets Old Fly, and we're, it, I mean, they're riding bareback horses, and we're looking to borrow somebody's saddle and headgear, you know, and they're gonna rope calves next. And, uh, and then 
we we finally get everything put together. We ride old fly. I think Roy wins the rodeo. I'm my mind's no telling where it's at, you know. <laughs> and I don't think I did any good, but but anyway. So Roy goes on his way, and I went home for the night. And uh, next day we meet back up at DFW Airport to fly back to Denver. You know, my rig's up there, my horse and rig's up there, and his rig's up there, and. We get back to DFW and, you know, we got a flight about noon, supposed to get back up there and, and uh, we get there and, well, they've oversold the flight. So we get bumped to the next flight about <laughs> an hour or two later. No big deal. You know, we're up at the rodeo that night. We got plenty of time, you know. The next flight, we get bumped again. So the, the last, the third flight of the day from Dallas to Denver is the last flight. We've got tickets, but we've been bumped twice. They bump us again on this third flight. Well, this is before, you know, all the security and all that. And Roy talks to this, uh, this uh, uh, lady behind the desk, this airline attendant behind the desk. She says, ma'am, if you'll let me and this guy go down there and get on that plane, we'll send two people back off. You know, we'll, we'll find us some seats down there and we'll send a couple people back off. And she goes, y'all think you can get that on? Just go on. So we walk down there on the plane and Roy gets him four $100 bills and steps on this plane and just says, I'll give $400 for two seats and we'll give you our tickets so you can fly to fly tomorrow morning. Well, I mean, people just went to grabbing bags trying to get to those, get to those $100 bills. You know, Roy looks at me and he goes, man, you go to waving them mallards around, you can get some action, can't you? <laughs> and these flight attendants, these flight attendants, they are pissed because we've disrupted their whole airplane you know people are trying to get up there to get those tickets and get that money you know Roy's just laughing I'm I'm just shaking I was never so glad to get back to Denver and get back to my rig in my whole life that that, that 36 hours was like a whirlwind now I love it I love it oh I like to be there with you. Oh, it was fun times. It, it was it was it was fun times. I look back on it. and I go, I couldn't rodeo that away. Roy, he could operate it that away. I mean, man, when I mean, if you used to watch that guy, I mean, he could be he could be talking and visiting and having a great time and joking and everything, you know. But man, when he bit into that pig and string, he was in his own world. I mean, when he bit into that pig and string to go rope. I guarantee you the guy couldn't tell you his name. He was that focused. I mean, he could go from zero to wide open just that quick. And that was one of the things I admired about him. You know, he could, he could, there, I mean, you know, all that he did, you know, there were so many people just wanted to be around Roy, you know, and, and he was so generous with his time and, and, you know, and, and meeting people, you know, he just, you know, he, you know, he, he, he was just that kind of guy. And, uh, but boy, to be able to just turn it off and get focused on what he had to do to go do his job, man, that guy could do it. He really could. I'm sorry about that. You know, he was telling Jimbo the other day that he was matching Dean Oliver when he was 15 years old. You know, he uh, he was a man amongst boys as a young man, you know, roping with the big-time guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he roped... Uh, I think he roped Dean out there at uh, San Angelo at the roping fiesta one fall. Um, in a in a match roping out there, and uh, I tell you what, you know, we're talking about calf roping and talking about you know some of the greatest ropers. I mean, you know, growing up, you know, 
I got to see a lot of the great ropers. You know, what I mean, you got a lot. You, what I what I take from you that a lot of people didn't get to see and and would love to. You got to see a lot of eras. Oh, I did firsthand. I did. You know, I got to see you know the tail end of you know the Toots Mansfield and Don McLaughlin era. You know, and and then then you had the Dean Oliver and and the Junior Garrison and the Glenn Franklin era. You know, and, and and you know, and then the Ernie Taylor, and then you know, here comes Roy and his bunch. You know, and then I kind of joined in it. You know, later on, and then I was there when Joe Beaver started his era, and then I was still, uh, you know, uh, uh, involved enough to you know see the Cody Ole and the Fred Whitfields. You know, I mean, Fred Whitfield, how can you how can you leave him out? You know, I mean, uh, he's only one championship away from the record from Dean's record. You know, and. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I was really fortunate in, in the age that I was to see a lot of the, the older guys, you know, and then, and then uh, uh, that era, you know, uh, uh, after, after, you know, the Tootses and, and my dads and, and the Troy Forts and, and all of those great ropers, you know, saw, saw them. And, and here again, I know I'm leaving a lot of them out, but, uh, but uh, to get to see that and see it evolve, and then to see how rodeos evolved as it is today, and and I think it's great. You know, I mean, the money's better. I remember in, in you know when they moved the when they moved the finals from Oklahoma City in 1984 to Vegas in '85. In '84, a go round at the NFR paid 3,300, and the first year they had it to Vegas, it paid right at 9,000. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, I watched the taper. I used to as a kid. Because somehow we had it recorded, and it was at eighty-eight hundred bucks or eighty-four hundred dollars. I can't remember. Bucks. Yeah, but yeah, just under nine thousand. And holy moly, I was like, oh, I, look at all this money these cowboys are making. Yeah, when when I won the average in Oklahoma City, I placed on two or three calves, and I think I won fifteen thousand, including you know what I won in the average. And then in eighty-five, when I won the average at Vegas, I I, I won around, split around, and placed on a couple other calves, and won the average and won forty thousand. <laughs> you know. And forty thousand back in nineteen eighty five, boy, that you know that was a lot of money. That was a lot of cheese. Uh, I mean, you know, it's relative as time goes along. Um, but man, I'm so happy for these guys nowadays. You know, the PRCA opened up the arena walls where they could go get sponsors and wear logos and all that. We couldn't do that back then. Inside the arena walls back then belonged to the PRCA. You couldn't wear a logo or anything like that. I mean, you could have, you know, you'd be in Wrangler pants or a Wrangler shirt. You know, but you couldn't advertise for anybody else you know you could outside you could advertise outside the arena walls but not inside the arena walls that belonged to the prca yeah this uh, this rodeo business is trained it's, it's changed drastically just totally drastically with the uh, cowboy channel i feel like oh, a lot the of these guys channel, that's wonderful a lot of these guys you know they have real sponsors now, real money instead of just twenty percent off your Wranglers or something like that. There's a, you know, these guys are making real money to help them get down the road now, and and you know, I see I see the professionalism taking a big step up, and a lot of these cowboys they don't have what I call the old cowboy mentality. They're uh, taking their craft pretty serious. Yeah, they. they but there's serious money up for grabs, and it costs serious money to go now. Yeah, you know these guys. You know they they know they've got a rodeo. They got a rodeo hard. They got a rodeo smart. They got to be ready, because 
they, they know what's at stake, you know, those 10 days in Las Vegas. I mean, lots of money. I mean, How know. much money do you have tied up in a rig and a horse and oh entry fees and, and diesel right now if you don't have a, a big sponsor? How much is that, Mike? Oh, my gosh. If you could put I mean, a pencil and paper to I, it. I mean, you know. You know 200000 on your rig, and that's conservative. Yeah, 200000 on your rig. You know, if, if 200000 on your rig. This is just to get you started in the calf roping business. Yeah, and if. And if, and if How much is a horse? Uh, well, 100, yeah, 100. 100000 for a mediocre calf roping horse, and that ain't even. Then we're talking expenses and entry fees, you know. There's and what other bills you have $100,000 there for the year on fees and diesel, probably. Spare tires and things like that. We're talking $400,000. Just to get you started, yeah. To go down the road, you need yeah. to be prepared to spend. If that's you right. Want to be a rodeo cowboy these days. Yeah, if you're going to do it for a living and you and, and that's going to be your your source of income, uh, you've you've got to you got to do it as a business, and you've got to be able to promote yourself and to promote yourself to you know these these good sponsors. You got to be a stand up guy. You know you. You, you you gotta have a good reputation. You you gotta be the right kind of person. You gotta be personable. You gotta you gotta spend some time and meet and greet and you know, that's what I was saying about the guys at the NFR nowadays. I mean, they have a lot of sponsorship obligations, you know, during the day. And uh they actually have a lot of fans. I, I think these Cowboys have a lot of fans now because millions of people are watching them. They're finally getting familiar with who they are, what they look like. They even know their horse's name now. Absolutely. You and know, on the, the barrel racing even, they got the horses have fans, I feel like. Oh, oh. let's go Barbie doll. I don't know what all the best barrel racing horses' names are. You know, the are, Cowboy but. Channel is just, you know, you just can't say enough about that, you know. It's uh, changed the game. It, it, it has. It's made rodeo so popular. And... Uh, uh, you know, I credit I credit some of it back to the to the PBR though. I mean, when they they broke away and formed their own organization and started getting it on TV on a regular basis, they got fans. You know, when people started being able to see the PBR, you know, almost weekly or every other week, they started getting a lot of non-rodeo people as fans. And then, and I think the PRCA finally realized, you know, look, if we're really going to get that fan base going, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've got to get this thing on the TV somewhere, on social media where, where people can follow it and they can have favorites that they pick out that they follow. And uh, uh, the Cowboy Channel has just has made that so, you know, has, has made that happen. Well, you can go back and watch. If they had a scoreboard there and they and they had a rodeo there, you can go back and watch rodeos and and just one performance from years ago. Now it's oh it's, yeah, it's pretty wild deal on their uh, Cowboy Channel app. So as a true rodeo fan and a true rodeo historian fan, Jimbo's the historian around here. But you know I love it. I love to go back and watch all that stuff. How would you like to go back and watch all the old Cheyennes or all the old Madison Square Gardens? You know yeah. It's, Absolutely, it's not going to happen now. But gosh, dang, it would. Wouldn't it? Have wish been we nice? had them all oh, would, on video because the Cowboy Channel could have them all on their app right now. You could just click a button and watch them. The first year they moved the finals to Vegas, uh, I want to go around one night, and back then they didn't have the big buckle presentation. It was a new thing. It was just they're figuring the new, it but out. But they had a buckle presentation every night. It was down at the Stardust, and. Uh, uh, the first go-round I won, uh, we went down there to the Stardust, you know, like they do to, to get your buckle that night. Ben Johnson presented me with my buckle. It was it, That's big stuff. I tell you what, it, it was exciting to win the NFR. It was almost as exciting to get that buckle that night and shake his hand. <laughs> I mean, 
Boy, that was so cool. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, that was so cool. Cody, right behind your head, there is one of the most famous rodeo pictures of all time, and and we got Ben Johnson, and Casey Tibbs, but also got Mike's dad Don there on the far right. Yeah, and Bill Linderman. I yeah, mean, Bill Linderman. Bill Linderman was the driving force behind uh, behind the RCA, you know, uh, becoming what it is today. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Todd Watley there on the end. Yeah, Todd Watley. Uh, this is in my top five rodeo pictures. Might Tell be me. the number one. You know, the one with all the guys in Pendleton standing in the arena, yeah. all the world champions. Yeah. I love that picture. I love this picture. Um, there's only a couple of them. Uh, Casey Tibbs on the cover of Life Magazine. That's right. one of my favorite rodeo pictures of all time. Do y'all, y'all have a picture of the, um, when Roy had a big roping up there when he was living in Childers? Roy Cooper, when he had his roping there in Childers? And he had all the living world's champion calf ropers show up and oh, took wow. a picture of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great picture. I he mean, used my to have dad was still, was still yeah. alive. You know, there was Dean, Dean was, yeah. Dean Oliver, who's still alive. But Do you Dean have a copy there. of it? You have, uh, I can get y'all a copy of it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Send, send us a copy. Yeah. I, I don't even think I've ever seen it. Yeah. Do you? I, I think the. Well, I'd like to see it. Yep. Harry Tompkins waving on the bull. That's another yes. classic rodeo picture. Yes. And there's one of a. Uh, Oak Berry bulldogging at Cheyenne, and he has this great big uh, fan of mud like he's water skiing. Yeah, and it's one of the greatest rodeo pictures of How all time. How about Ben Johnson roping a cab at Penland? You know, there we go. That's a famous. famous I love that picture, picture Jimbo. That's a great picture. Yeah. <laughs> but Sp- uh, I'm sorry about interrupting you there, Mike. No, not not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Would it be out of place for me to give a shout out to some friends? Shoot that, sh- shout them out. Shout them out. Well. About six years ago, I moved from Fort Worth out to Brown County in West Texas, kind of central West Texas. Met some great people out there, and I just want to shout out to them, uh, to Bud West and uh, my, my, my team roping partners out there, uh, Rex Husbeth and, and Ed, and Ed Anderson. And uh, uh, we've got some other great people that we've met there in town. I won't... I, uh, 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 Lindsay and Scott and Raquel and Brian want to say, you know, hello to them. And, uh, um, but just met some great people out there in Brown County. Uh, John Guess, who is the president of Citizens Bank there. Mickey Nelson, a horse trainer from years ago. Uh, just shout out to some people that are good friends of mine there at home. Uh, uh, Terry Mitchell and his family, his son Riley's taking care of my horses this week while I'm gone. So just shout out to some people and, and uh, the, the, some great people that we've met since we moved out there that have really embraced us. And, and uh, we, we moved out, out west about six years ago to kind of get out of all the traffic and the people in the Metroplex. And There's great people out in West Texas. And, oh, it's just we, rough living out there, Jimbo. We, Holy moly. Yeah, we're, if you like dust and tumbleweeds, but yeah. the, the folks can't be any nicer. Yeah, <laughs> we, we love it out there. And, and just wanted to shout out some people. And, uh, uh, but, uh, and then obviously all my family. Um, uh, you know, uh, my, my father-in-law is actually sitting here with us, and uh, and my mother-in-law both rode up with us uh, from from their home in Sherman. And my wife's with me, Kim. And then I want to shout out to all my kids, uh, uh, my daughter Lindsay and her husband Jake and their two kids, and uh, uh, my son Cody and his uh, fiance and their two boys out in uh, out in Midland, Texas, and uh, 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 my son Cade and his wife. Uh, uh, Ashley, they're expecting their first uh, 
first child here in a couple Congratulations. We've got, a, got another McLaughlin going to hit the ground. That's so, right. A little boy. So, Keep that uh, name going. And and then uh, and then uh, my other son, Greg, he, if you live in Texas and you got a big family, one of them is going to be an Aggie. And Greg's our Greg's our, our family Aggie. He's he's a Texas A&M bleeds maroon Aggie down there, and he lives down there uh, by. Uh, Brian I need College to name Station. this baby's middle name Don. That's a good Texas name. Anything you put with <laughs> Jimmy Don, whoever, yeah. I mean, it'd be a great throwback to hear. Uh, but. Uh, no, uh, my son Cade and his wife Ashley—they're expecting. Uh, they're going to name their son Court Michael, and so we're excited for Court Michael to get here. <laughs> That's a pretty good name too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael uh, Don, I like better, but but Court yeah. Michael ain't bad. <laughs> but yeah, throughout all the throughout all the years, I've had a lot of, uh, you know, back when I was rodeoing, you know, anybody will tell you, you know, your pencil told us a minute ago if you're going to have some help <laughs> if you're going to rodeo you got to have help you got to have support and boy your family behind you and your my friends. family helped me more than any sponsor ever helped me but that's yes. exactly that's exactly and they right. never regret they did they didn't have any money yeah to speak of but whatever they had they offered when we needed it especially to get down the road to another rodeo when because that's the in, life we lived when i was living in fort worth and and rodeo on you know professional rodeo on my biggest fan was was at that time my father-in-law his name was mike ward and he was he was probably my biggest fan and him and his wife opal and and all their family and my wife at the time uh they they were a big support system for me and and uh, you know uh couldn't have, couldn't have got to do what i love to do without their support uh and the little bit of success that i had uh, you know, I, I credit to a lot of people. I had a lot, a lot of, a lot of support. You know, uh, he must be a good guy, Jimbo, because his first father-in-law is his biggest fan, and his second father-in-law <laughs> rides up here with him. <laughs> My father-in-law, after 13 years, just finally started warming is up. He, to is me. he speaking? Is he speaking to you? Yeah, he was. He was. He was, he was real skeptical for the first 11, 12 years of this deal, but uh, he's warming up to me now. Well, I'm glad. Just took 12 years. <laughs> Hey, you mentioned that Roy Cooper roping out in Childress a while back. He also had a roping in Paducah, Texas, the Roy Cooper roping. They, they moved it from Childress to Paducah one time, and they had a steer roping and calf roping. Mike, a lot of rodeo fans don't know about these invitational ropings. Wendy Ryan, San Angelo. What makes, these special, what makes those ropings more special than a lot of the others? Well, to me, what makes, you know, like the, the San Angelo Roping Fiesta that's usually, you know, late November, early, or late first, October, early First November. week in November, usually. Yeah. And, and the, and the, or late October, it's and, failed. And the Ryan Roping in Saginaw there, right there where I used to live. I mean, what, what makes those roping special is just, you know, where they started and the history behind them. I mean, the, the Ryan Roping there, you know, if you were, if you were, anybody you knew wendy ryan you know that that had the big wendy ryan you know western store there in in fort worth and i mean fort worth is is Cowtown, you know and um wendy started out just selling increasing hats in a corner of the old stockyards exchange building years ago and then and then grew his dynasty into you know the western wear but wendy was an old roper you know he roped uh was a calf roper and uh and when he passed away, you know, he was so well thought of, you know, I mean, not by just, 
rodeo people, but by all the business people in in uh, in Fort Worth in the, in, the, in Tarrant County, for the simple reason that that you know back then there were so you know Fort Worth was was cowboy, and if you wanted cowboy clothes, you went to Ryan's, and if you went to Ryan's, Wendy Ryan was there to make you feel special, and 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 it didn't matter if you were a banker or a world's champion, you got treated the same. And uh, what are the conditions at that rope? And oh well, it's, you know they built a, a big special arena out there. It's a it's a big arena. Um, you know, back when I was back when I was there, you know they scored them out a long way, scored them twenty foot, and you had walking fresh calves and walking fresh steers and the steer roping, and uh, uh, you know, but the, the conditions, you know, it, big arena. You know, you got to cowboy up a little bit. You got to have a good horse, and you got to rope up and. Uh, um, and they still hold to that tradition pretty good there at the Ryan, Ryan Arena. You know, they've changed the format a little bit. They've added team roping the day before, and it's a great event. And, uh, uh, and, and the, you know, the steer roping, just like the calf roping, has changed. You know, they've gone to a little quicker setups and, and smaller cattle and, and time faster because, you know, the, the fans have, you know, they, they like the speed events. They like to see, they like to see the speed and the, and, and the time's faster. And San Angelo, the same way. They've got a big, huge arena. Uh, their format is still pretty much the same. It's invitational. Um, it's uh, the hardest one to get into. The, yeah, as far it, as it, it really is. Open, In fact, it, it was it was so hard. To Very get, exclusive. It was so hard to get into, and it was so hard for that committee out there to make that selection. Uh, you know, you know, and keep it to that thirty-five or forty ropers. That was really, really hard for them, and they struggled with it. And you know, they it got to the point where they were hurting feelings. So what they did. And to me, and it was a great idea, was that they would invite 35 and they would hold four, five spots open and they would have a preliminary open roping the Friday before. They still do it that way. And the top five in the average in that preliminary roping get an invitation rope the next day with the big boys. And I think that was a great way to do it. And they still do that. And I, I boy, I just can't say enough about that committee out there. I mean, uh, Tony Churchill out there is, is, to me, has been the driving force and kept that thing together and kept it really going. Um, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of greats out there that have been involved in, in, in making that roping what it is. I mean, in the match roping out there, you know, they still have a 12-head match calf roping between two of the top guys at the time. They find the best two to they match. They find the Holy best moly. two. I mean, man, some of the best match ropings I have ever watched were at San Angelo. And uh, when Roy Cooper and Tom Ferguson roped out there, and I, I think they roped, they roped, I think, five times out there. And, you know, Roy and Tom were friends, but they were friendly, fierce competitors. In other words, they wanted to beat each other. Yeah. There, there wasn't any love. When it came time to rope, there was no love lost. And, man, them guys, they showed up with their best horses, and I'm telling you, they were ready. And when they roped, it was good watching. I mean, they, they, rope, they roped their butts off out there. They roped some great ropings. You ever been out there, Jimbo, to that roping? No, never have. Holy moly. You ought to see all the gambling goes on during this match. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. Money passing hands, money money passing hands, left and right, and most of the time back in the old days, probably not now. These ropers, they bring their own guy with them to represent them, and they take bets on their behalf down there, or 
Oh yeah, something. I mean, it was a it was a pretty wild deal. I saw it when I was a kid. I mean, those grandstands would be packed on both sides all the way down. I think that arena is six or seven hundred foot long, and there's grandstands down both sides, and they'd just be packed for the calf roping and the steer roping the second day. And I mean, you talk about roping fans now. They they came. I mean. Out in West Texas, you know, people ask you, you know, you going to Angelo? And and everybody knew what that meant. That meant to the roping fiesta. You going to Angelo? If you said if you're going to Angelo, they knew, you know, well, yeah, oh heck yeah, we're going. You know, it was a big it was a big party. I mean, it really was. I mean Big people time. People show up there and, you know, party Friday night, go to the calf roping Saturday, and then in the Coliseum they take they had the dirt out and the floor and they had a big band they had a dance there and and i mean it was packed full and then they'd get up the next morning go to busting you know on sunday i mean it was it was a social event of the season in san angelo the roping fiesta was and it's still a big event they've still held it together and and you know stayed with a lot of the tradition you know jim bob altizer i mean he roped the match out there for years and years he made that rope and the, he made that match the house out. that jim bob built yeah, out that's there. exactly right you know he he roped that match out there for years i mean i got to see jim bob altizer and dean oliver rope out wow. there i got to see jim bob and and glenn franklin rope out there you know um you know glenn franklin he was he was one of the guys that i really watched and loved to watch rope i mean he handled the rope so good and rope calves so sharp and uh, he said one of the one of the best things i ever heard anybody say one time we were at san angelo and he wasn't roping the match that year and uh uh before the match started i happened to be sitting by glenn and some you know everybody sat along fencing inside the arena you know and somebody asked Glenn who he was betting on in the match. And Glenn said, oh, I don't bet on the match. And they go, you don't, you don't bet on the match? And he said, no. He said, the only time I bet on a match roping is when I got the rope in my hand. <laughs> he said, because I know how hard I'm going to try. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. And uh, uh, I've but, seen Joe Bieber, Fred Whitfield, Fred Whitfield, Cody Ole. Oh, Those were some uh, slug out matches right there, both of them. You know, you know what? Uh, people always ask me, you know, Mike, you've seen a lot of eras of Cafro, you know, who was the best? And, and that's, that's hard to say, you know. I mean, I think the winners, you know, back in the 40s and 50, 50s would have been winners in this day and age because they're winners. They would have figured out how to win. They would have adapted. They'd have done whatever. whatever Jimbo, took Jimbo to thinks Sonny Davis is still be winning world titles today. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, they they asked me you know who who do you think you know, okay well who do you think's the greatest you ever saw and I said well you know there for a long long time you know to me it was Roy Cooper you know Roy you know Roy was such a complete roper you know his foundation was so good you know he just didn't have a hole anywhere in his rope and you know he rode good he could read cattle so good he handled his rope so good he roped real sharp obviously you know his get off was ahead of everybody else you know he could you know he could rope and 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 get off and be there when they hit the ground and and then you know he he, he perfected that little short wrap tie and you know he you know roy tied a lot of big calves and eight you know i mean a lot of big calves you know 250 you know 275 pound calves you had to jerk down and get after had a lot of calves, Nate, and I said, you know, I always liked was how slow the, he took that cross in that first wrap, and then it was over. Yeah, then I watched was, a lot of him. It, it was a blur, you know, and uh, I, I thought he was always the greatest I'd seen 
until I had watched Cody Old rope on TV. Cody had won championships. I'm so glad to hear you say this because I I agree with you. But I had never seen Cody rope in person. I'd I'd seen him on TV and like I said, but I'd never seen him rope a calf in person. And uh, I was coaching a, a, a kid from out around Oh, around Crescent, Texas. And his dad had invited Cody to come up and practice with this boy that day. Just kind of inspire him and everything. And that's the first time I ever met Cody O. Got to shake his hand and got to meet him. And and he was in his prime then. He was riding riding a big sorrel horse called Old Luke that uh, Chris Libert raised and raised and trained and and hauled. And... uh, a big horse, long neck, and and uh, could really stop. And uh, Cody run about four or five practice calves that day. And I'll be honest with you, I was blown away. I, I, you know, I'd never seen it all up close, and how good he could ride, how good his left hand was, you know, riding his horses and getting back to that horn and doing things, and how sharp he roped, powerful with a rope. Yeah, and and how strong he was on the ground. And the way he handled Kez and, and how deliberate he was with everything, fast and deliberate he was, you know, flanking in time. It was just, it was like, whoa, how do they ever beat this guy? He don't stop, he you don't know. stop trying even when things aren't going his way, he's still going to get your money. And I, and I asked, and I asked, I asked Roy one time, I said, man, if you and Cody O were both in your prime, how would you feel? And he said, man, he said, I'd have my hands full with that boy. He said, I, he said, he said, that'd be one of them things where, I'd get the best of him some days, and he'd get the best of me some days, you know. But, uh, but yeah, you know, Cody, and then, and like I say, don't you know? There's so many greats out there, but you can't leave Fred Whitfield out of it either. I mean, oh my gosh! Oh, he's know. a machine. He oh, was a yeah. machine, unbeatable. I mean, yeah. He won every rodeo, won every championship you could. You know, one of the. It was an I, athlete. I still kind of give the edge to Roy because I, I saw Roy and was in, you know, I practiced with Roy a lot, you know, and I didn't rodeo a lot with Roy. We didn't travel together a lot. We did just a little bit every, every now and then. But we got to practice a lot, and, uh, you know, he was doing a lot of roping schools back then, and, and he would, he, when he'd get big numbers, he would ask me to go with him and help. And help. out. And and I would and and so I got to see him teach and and all that and and he was so foundationally strong, you know. Um, well, he learned from one of the best, you know, and yeah. was around the best. And yeah, he did. Know, I mean, guys well, like he that. Was, he was exposed, you know, those those great ropers too. You know, I mean, I mean, how many great ropers came from New Mexico out there? Not besides Sonny Davis and I mean, there were guys out in in New Mexico and in in the panhandle of, of Texas out there that were great ropers that people have never even heard of to this day. You know, they didn't didn't want to go rodeo and didn't want to, you know, just went to a few rodeos or a few ropings around around where they live. I mean, fabulous ropers, you know. I mean, it'd be guys, a great debate between New Mexico and uh, Oklahoma to me on 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 the greats one, on one the, the foundation greatest, of it on the foundations of, the, of rodeo. Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest things I always admired about Roy was, you know, he's the world's champion. He's the reigning world's champion at the time. You know. Uh, you know he's he's got the Dodge truck that he got from the 
from winning the world, you know, and, and, and the gold buckle and, you know, got plenty of money and, and everybody wants to be around him. And we're at a rodeo over in East Texas, Jasper, Texas, and it's raining straight down and he's got the worst calf in the herd. And he bites into that pig and string and he tries like he ain't got a dollar to his name. Mister, that's a world's champion right there. You know, it'd be easy for a guy like that that's got everything, that's got the gold buckle to go. And conditions aren't very good. I think I'll kind of wait for a better day. Not Roy. Not Roy. He, 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 he'd grit his teeth and try like he didn't have, like I say, a dollar to his name. He, he wanted to win that bad, you know. Mike, you've seen a lot of eras and you've seen a lot of guys. You've roped with a lot of guys. You've watched a lot of ropings. Who has the fastest hands you've ever seen in the calf roping? Tying. Once they get their pig and string on them, who, who's the fastest? I got a couple names. There, there's, two or, there's two or three. Back years ago, Gary Johnson with a pig and string was one of the fastest guys I ever saw. Is he an Okie? Yes, sir. There, right they, down the road in Okamogie. There's one Okie. Yeah. Okies are the fastest. Gary Johnson. It was Mike Johnson's older brother. Yeah. He, he made the NFR several years. He I've was, heard some great getting-down-the-road rodeo stories about Mike Johnson, too. Uh, <laughs> where, where uh, he'll leave you at the gas station there, if you take over six minutes to go in uh, and out. There was a guy that roped left-handed. It was really fast on the ground, had fast hands, Tom Walker. Uh, one of the fastest guys back when I was rodeoing uh, that I thought had really fast hands as far as just time on, Ricky Canton. Ricky. He's right there on the list. Oh, my gosh. Ricky Canton just, you know, I mean, with that pig and string, he could, he could get after one, you know. And uh, I'm going to throw one at you. Jerome Schneeberger. You ever seen anything like that? You know. That guy was so big, but he could spin it on like yeah. one of the little boys. Little, yeah. Not, not little boys, little guys, you know. Yeah. Just like he'd about have him half tied before he hit the ground. Yeah. Yeah, some of those. Yeah. His hands were just unbelievably fast to me. Uh. You know, to me, when it comes to tying a calf, tying fast is great. But if you look back through the generations, you know, the money is won from the time your foot leaves the stirrup till you catch the front leg, you know, uh, till you get them flanked and on the ground. Um, it, you can look back and, you know, if, if you start every great roper from the time he catches the leg, string and tying one, there's not a whole lot of time difference. You know, maybe just two or three tenths. You know, so in my opinion, you don't win with your pig and string. Now, your pig and string can cost you a lot of money, <laughs> you know, if you don't get it on right. You know, I was telling people, uh, you know, when I was doing some roping clinics and stuff, you know, I'd tell them your pig and string's got, not going to make you time, but it can sure cost you a lot of time. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you, look at, you look at today's, the top winners today, you know, they're the guys that get from that stirrup to that to flanking and catching that front leg. You know, Shad Mayfield. And don't make very many John mistakes. John Dowch, you know, Tough Cooper. Tough I mean, Cooper. tough from that stirrup to that front leg. Mr. De in my opinion, even, even the guys I just mentioned, he's he's the fastest. Never but, never seen anybody get down a rope and get a calf flanked as flanked quick as he does. And, and, and catch that leg as quick yeah. as Tough can, you know. And when they do that, they don't have to tie fast. They just got to not mess up. Finish the run. They just got to finish then. And uh, but but boy, there's been some guys that could really run that pig and string. You know? I know. I just wanted to know who was the fastest hands. You know, obviously, 
consistently, slow down, be fast. How many times have you heard that? Yeah. You know, that's the golden rule. Keep your elbow up, slow down, be fast. That's been the, the golden rule of roping since since rodeo roping was <laughs> incepted, it seems like. And uh, it takes a long time for dummies like me to get that through my head, you know. But some of these guys catch on at an early age, and they understand Things like that, it seems like. Well, you know, you know, roping is, you know, in my opinion, calf roping's changed a lot, you know, in the last last couple of decades, and, and really in the last decade, you know, there's just more guys out there that rope really good. I mean, there's more kids out there that have more help than we've ever had before. That's right. You know, that have more opportunities. Well, to they do, allow to their do kids it. to go homeschool so they can stay home and specialize in roping, yeah. and now, you know. You growing up, there wasn't that many big junior rodeos. Me growing up, there wasn't that many big junior rodeos because, you know, I saw the USTRC come along in my lifetime to even up the score. You know, now it seems like there's junior rodeos or youth rodeos that's just as big as the PRC. You know, you win just as much money going there as you can win at Cheyenne roping calves. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's turned into a serious business. Even on the youth level, I feel like. Yeah, you know, the team roping, that's a whole other animal. We, we don't want to get into that. But, but you know, in the calf roping, there's just so many guys, uh, you know, rodeoing in the pros today that, that can win first. I mean, you know, this guy may be 60th in the money standings, you know, pull up and, and win first against all of them. You it used know, to be 20 guys, now it's all yeah, of them. I mean, even back when I was rodeoing, you know, I'd say there was 30 guys that you, you had to beat on a consistent basis to be at the NFR. You know, you just had to beat 30. You had, out of them 30 guys, you just had to be in the top half. And, uh, you know, now those 30 guys were pretty wolfy. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong, you know. But nowadays, I mean, you could drop down to 60 or 100, you know, that you got to beat on a consistent basis. And, uh, that's made the style of calf roping a whole lot more aggressive than it used to be. You can't just, you can't back in, I mean like, when I was rolling, you could back in there and if you kind of had them outdrawn that night, you could know, you, you knew, all I gotta do is just not make my own mistakes and I'm gonna win money tonight, or I'm gonna win first tonight at this rodeo. Nowadays, you can't do that. You gotta have a good one and you gotta max him out. You know, you gotta go fast. Yeah, you, there's you no. Gotta, you got to rope for first, and I mean these guys rope for first. Well, there's not much room from first to sixth nowadays <laughs> either. <laughs> well, there's not. Time-wise, there's really not. Yeah, and uh, uh, I, think most that, I, I think there's still some strategy involved, uh, you know. And I could I could show you what I'm talking about if you look back in Trevor's career. You know, Trevor was such a you know Trevor was obviously an outstanding athlete and a great horseman, but. I think his best feature is just smart. You know, the guy knew how to win, and he knew the situation. I mean, if you look back, you know, boy, if you look back at those results from rodeo and when Trevor was in his prime and right up to the very end, uh, you know, a, a lot of rodeos, you know, give two head. And, you'd, you know, the first go-round, you might not see Trevor's name. The second go-round, you know, Trevor wins first or second in the second round. But then you look down, and he wins – fourth or fifth an average, you know. And instead of having a, a $1,500 rodeo, he has a $4,000 rodeo. And boy, you, you know, don't get me wrong, this guy won a lot of firsts, lots and lots and lots of them. But if you really look back in all three events, this guy was smart, you know. In other words, the first go-round, he might not have had a calf you could place on in the go-round, but he went and tied him down 
to get that fourth or fifth place check in that average because he knew if I come back and draw a good one, I can place him to go around and they're going to pay me a little bonus check in that average. And and I still think, you know, that there there's some strategy that that some younger guys coming in need to understand, you know, look, if it's a two-head roping, you know, that average pays good. <laughs> you know, you don't always have to win first. And... Uh, um, well, he was a little more serious as a kid. Even you know when we were little kids roping the dummy, he was a oh he was serious guy back then too. And, yeah, uh, I mean obviously that guy. He's been a man a, amongst boys for a long yeah, time. That ever since just we on a whole other level, <laughs> you know, no doubt about it. And it's uh, you know his practice, his ethic on practicing and everything he does, and seems to be the way he lives his life. And everything seems to be. Uh, I got to tip my hat to him for sure. No, I. I, I Back, uh, oh gosh. He's a great champion. Back when Trevor was roping with Patrick Smith and, uh, uh, you know, Roy and, and, and Trevor live right next to each other. They, they have a place, basically their places to join one another. And I was taking some practice calves up to Roy's house for Tuff and Cliff and Clint one morning, real, real early. It was like, and it was, it was January, and it was real early in the morning. I, I mean, it was just probably 7.30 in the morning. That north wind was blowing. It was cold. I mean, it was cold out. And this was before Trevor had built his indoor arena. He just had his big outdoor pen. And I was pulling up to Roy, up Roy's drive to go over there to Roy's indoor building and, and drop some calves off. And I looked down there at Trevor's arena, and there's Trevor and Patrick Smith. And they each got about five horses saddled and the team roping steers pinned. And I parked up there and watched them rope. And mister, it was cold out and it was early. And and they might have been the reigning world champion team rovers at the time. They're out there getting after it. And it's January. <laughs> and they are getting after it. And it's cold and winds blowing. And I went, hmm, that's why that guy's got all them gold buckles. <laughs> you know. You know, he wants it pretty bad to be out here this morning doing this. I remember when he first cracked out Jimbo, I think he entered like uh Laredo, Texas, and Stephenville, Texas, and my dad, I, I, they called home. I was at home by myself. <laughs> they left me home by myself that week, and I was causing some uh, mischief there at home while they were all gone, and I said, who's winning all the money on at, at these rodeos, Dad? Trevor Brazil. It was, I think it might have been his first two rodeos he entered. I think he won both of them, and he was tying steers in nine, you know, 18 years old. It was really something else. Yeah. The handwriting was on the wall early with that guy. Early. <laughs> yeah, I think that he was entering the timed event before he even had a PRCA card, you know. I just remember Clint McSpadden always saying, you know, he had ice water in his veins, and he does. He's definitely the most dominant roper with the rope there's ever been. I mean, he's made the national finals healing, steer roping, world champion, calf roping world champion, team roping world champion. Yeah. Heading side. In the first year, he roped at the national finals. He was healing for J.P. Wickett. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Speed Williams, his first year, he was a healer. I didn't. These things, I didn't. It's I, just wild to yeah, me. Yeah, you know? it is. It is. Because you know, a lot of nowadays, it seems like a lot of guys can head and heal both good. But you know, growing up, it seems like you either had to pick one or the other. Yeah, the headers didn't heal as good as they headed, and healers didn't <laughs> head as good as the headers. You know, but now. 
they're deadly, deadly on both sides. A lot of guys, but especially on Trevor, he can Man, just and, rope anything, anytime, anywhere he wants to. You know, you talk. You know, we were just talking about how tough the calf roping is, and how many guys you know rope good and can win on a, you know, at any time. And boy, when you get over to that team roping, you could just times two on that. I oh, mean, yeah. times boy, there are, yeah, there's so many guys that rope so good in that team roping event. You know, oh my gosh, it's just incredible. And you get around and go to some of these. World Series or U.S. Ropings or other associated ropings, you know, and you look at all these little young kids roping them dummies, and oh, you go, buddy. there's why team roping's so tough, guys, you know. Uh, I used to think I was a trick roper a little bit on roping the dummy and stuff, Mike. I used to think it. I'm not. <laughs> but uh, this 14-year-old kid really learned me my lesson one time, and, and uh, he did stuff that I'd never even seen anybody do before with ease. And he yeah. said him and all his buddies can do all these. Yeah. These are just his old standby tricks. Yeah. And uh, yep. taught me to, to, to mess with any of these young team roping guys ever again on the yeah, on the roping know, dummy. This this team roping has has really revolutionized the equine industry. Uh, it really has. You know, there's, you know, when Denny Gentry came up with the handicap system years and years ago. Uh, and level the playing field, you know, so many people got involved, you know, you know, you know, men and women, and it's just exploded. And I mean, you know, the money in it is just incredible. You know, I mean, if you look at what the payout is at the South Point during the national finals out there at the World Series finals, you know, it's it just crazy. Blow, yeah, it blows you away. You Over $100,000 you can and, win, walk out of there with. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I was riding around there last December. I roped out there at the World Series uh, with Billy Haley. And uh, uh, I was riding around and uh, was talking to Dick Yates, J.D.'s dad. Oh, yeah. Dick, Dick's 82 years old. Did you grow up around them in Colorado? You know what? When I went to college, I, w I went to school there in Pueblo where they lived. And they were nice enough to let me come out and rope. And, and you know, mm -hmm. you know, gosh, you knew the whole family, you know. J.D.'s one of my roping heroes. I oh, think he Dick. might be the best. You know, right there with Trevor as a, as a rope handler. You know, there, there's no telling how many people Dick and Jan Yates helped in their rodeo careers throughout their life. You know, and and uh, you know, and and Kelly and JD. You know, they're just class people. And JD's you know turned into be one of the greatest horsemen ever, in my opinion. And uh, but yeah, I knew him, knew him real well. But I was riding around with Dick there at the World Series last year, and Dick looked at me and he says, Mike. Did you ever think at our age we'd get to still run at this kind of money? And I go, boy, Dick, not my wildest dreams. Did he you know, win it? Dick. Uh, or the year before. Last year or the year before. A couple of years ago, he placed in two ropings out there and won over 100000 yeah. He was like 81 years old then. You know. Yeah. It was incredible. Um, yeah. He won. He won. His grandson, Trey, won the average at the NFR his rookie year. And Dick won more than Trey did out there that week. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the Yates family had a big week out there that week. I remember that. In uh, that team roping, there's Navajo, you know, guys coming off the Navajo nations knowing that they can't even pronounce their last names, and uh, they're roping better than anybody we've ever seen. Oh, the, yeah. That kid that uh, 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 Trey roped with that year at the finals was one of them, that, uh, Tenzini uh, or uh, something Sinigini. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ten yeah. But, uh, yeah. boy, howdy. And that you know, you know, roping has just gotten you know it's gotten so big and and you know calf roping still still so popular you know the, you know people.
talk to me about calf rope, and they go, yeah, Mike, but y'all roped great big calves way back then. I said, yeah, you know, we roped some big calves, but we roped a lot of little calves, too. I said, I don't want to be known as one of these guys that, you know, look at today's rope, calf roping and go, oh, well, you know, they couldn't have done that back when. No. Yeah. It ain't up to the ropers. It's up to know, our ropers' leadership on what they know, rope, you know. You, so. know. you know, these guys that are winning nowadays, if they'd have roped during my era, they would have been champions just like they are nowadays. They'd have been NFR, you know, qualifiers and champions just like they are. They would have adapted, you know, uh, you know, if Dean Oliver was roping in today's world, he'd be he'd still be a guy to contend with. You know, it, you know, just because they were driven and 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 they they wanted to win so bad, they would do whatever it takes. And uh, so, you know, I still love to follow calf roping. You know, I know it's changed. You know, quicker setups, smaller calves, and they time faster. But it's fun to watch. You know, uh, um, you know their horsepower. You know, uh, these guys have some. You know, boy, you know, some fire-breathing, you know, horses that can score and run across there and get it on, you know. It's just fun to watch. You know, these guys are really good athletes, and they're, and they're you know, they, they work at it really hard, and, and you know, they're fun to watch. They're what really about this breakaway? Oh. Holy moly. Yeah. Have you ever seen an industry just pop up out of the blue, out of nothing? You know, I mean, because breakaway isn't a new sport. I'm sorry. No, it, they've it, had it in the college national finals, in the high school finals. I don't know for how long, 60s, it, 70s for sure. You know, I, I I think it's great. I think it's great for the sport. You know, um, I'm I'm glad to see you know some of the girls that that uh, have I been think breaking it's the rope market, years, the horse you know, market, uh, everything. You know, girls like Larry D. Guy from out in Abilene. You know. Uh, one of the best ropers I've ever seen. You She's know. been a legend for years. Oh my gosh, yeah, her and Jackie Crawford. You know, I mean, and and you you got to give those girls a lot of credit. You know, they kept pushing that sport along and kept you know showing people you know, hey, you know this is this is a good event for fans. You know, and they kept kept pushing it out there and pushing it out there and getting support and getting support. And I think it was the American Rodeo that pushed it over the yeah. edge. That's what I think personally. Just yeah. looking on it. Yeah, and. and uh, so you know, give those give those girls a lot of credit. You know, they they hung in there when there wasn't a lot for them, and now it's paying off. You know, uh, can you believe what it's done to the horse market? Oh, my for God. rodeo horses. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, for people that you know raise and train horses is what's nice. You know, um, not everybody that competes is a great is a great horse trainer. You know, mo most of the guys. I mean. I don't ever consider myself a horse trainer at all. I mean, I bought trained horses, and I was pretty good at, you know, maintaining them and keeping them working to where I could win on them. Uh, but as far as training one, no. I, I'd never say I was a horse trainer, not even to this day. I mean, I've got a – if I need help with my horses nowadays, I've got a good friend in Santo, Texas. His name's David Felton. That's who I go see, him and his wife, Lacey. Yeah, yeah, like with my team roping horses. You oh, know, yeah, I know David. Heck if, of a if, roper. Made the finals uh, roping calves and steers, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And, uh, we sold him a horse one time, a yellow horse. He made the finals it, roping steers on. You know, but but I I never would would consider myself a horse trainer. Like I say, I I had some good horses and and uh, but I bought those horses trained and I was able to you know keep them together and physically and, and keep them working where I could be competitive on them. But uh, uh, but nowadays you know there's just such a demand for good horses. I mean, look at what Trevor and Miles Baker are doing now. You know they're you know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it is, and it's great. You know, and people are going, "Wow, look at how much they're they're selling them for." And I said, "Yeah, but look at how good they are." 
I mean, wow. Where can you go find? I mean, it's about time a horse is worth the truck or trailer is in. Honestly. I mean, that's the biggest thing you have. When you can borrow a ride to get there and everything, but you still got to be riding a good horse to win anything. Pretty yes, much, it's not what it's not what your trailer is; it's what's in your trailer that'll mm-hmm. let you win. Exactly, <laughs> the trailer will get you where the horse will let you win something. It's been a long time coming on the the, the price of of a good rodeo horse, in my it, in my opinion. I mean, it is, and it's good, and I and I think because because of that, I think you're going to see uh, uh, horse training even get better because now. You know, it, it, it's worth their while. It's it's worth the money. You can make money at it. You can take a gamble on a young yeah. horse to see what might happen now, yeah. compared to what, yeah, you compared can, to ten years ago. Even you know, even that that short a time span. I think this has just really boomed in the last four to five years. This horse market just has uh, exploded to, to unfathomable thoughts. Really, just whatever you got, guts enough to ask for your good horse, someone's going to buy him if he's good. Yeah, and we don't even want to talk about the barrel racers. <laughs> don't even want to talk. Well, that's totally changed. You know, there's yeah. a there's guys. You know, they got stables of horses, just like they're a racehorse owner, and they got trainers, and then they got ladies like a lady we live here in Pasca named Wenda Johnson, one of the best hor- barrel horse jockeys in the world. You know, she don't even have to pull a trailer where she goes to some of the times. Yeah, just flies in, gets on a horse they have there for her, and yeah, it's, she wins the rodeo, and then she comes back to Pasca. Yep. It's uh, it's it's neat to see how things have evolved and see how this equine industry has has progressed and grown and where it was at where it's at where it, the the cycles it went through and where it's at today and uh, it's just a, you know to me to me you know I'm still such a fan of you know good horses and 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 roping and and rodeo in general you know uh, I mean gosh you know how exciting are these right boys <laughs> you know right you know uh, how it's ex- crazy yeah how, how exciting is that you know and uh, um, we don't even know how many of them there are really <laughs> nobody does <laughs> oh there's another one that yeah. well, I've never read that one's name yeah. I've never read that one's name uh, yeah you know I they just be- keep coming and keep coming no one's ever seen anything like it yeah through oh before Stetson cracked out uh, I was out there at Vegas at the World Series, and uh, we happened to be watching the the buckle presentation one night, uh, live feed there, uh, and uh, Ryder had won the Saddlebunk riding that night. You know, there's another one in there, too, that's won the world besides Cody, Ryder, and Stetson, but I can't remember his name. There's there's so many of them. Spencer. Spencer, that's it. Spencer. Spencer. But anyway, Ryder... uh, 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 was getting his buckle, you know, and, and the announcers were kind of trying to interview him, and Ryder's pretty tight-lipped anyway, you know, and he doesn't like to say a whole lot. Uh, he just likes to let his ride and do his talking, and he and does. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, they were uh, they were talking to him, uh, you know, about his family and his 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 brother, his dad, and his his uncles and his brothers and all this kind of stuff, and and. At the end, he goes, "Yeah, we got a we got another little brother that's fixing to crack out next year, named Stetson, and he rides bulls pretty good too." Yeah, no kidding. And that's all he said about him. And I thought, well, be interesting to see, you know, another one come on. And then Stetson hit the scene. It's like, oh my gosh, holy smokes! And and then you find out Statler is coming, you know, and you go, oh my gosh, you know. Uh, so boy, you know how exciting is that being? You know what? You know they, there's, there's so many of them. They're going to run out of names to name them, Jimbo. Yeah, no. Run out well, of blue shirts. Uh huh. Not only that, they're great for rodeo. I mean, yeah, think about the, the fan base these guys have brought to rodeo. Well, they're I mean, uh, superstars. They're you know? superstars. They're yeah. what Casey Tibbs was back in his prime. Yeah. You know, you know but uh, they 
and country, might even have more fans. And you know what? Such good boys. You know, good. Ki- you know, I seem to be good kid. role models. You know. Yeah. Yeah, all of them, you know, they're they're really good. You know, they all seem to be very humble. You know, uh, uh, you know, gosh, you just I can't say enough about them. You know, but uh, I like them pretty good. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, they're like well, nothing not to like about them. I know, they're, and they're somehow <laughs> there ain't nothing better than a good bronc ride, Jimbo, to watch on a ranked bronc. I mean, it's just good, good watching. That's that's the roots of rodeo right there, Jimbo. What else you got for Mike today? Well, we would just want to thank him. You know, Mike drove up from Texas to sit in with us. He didn't want to do it over the phone. He said, I want to come up and talk to you in person, and, and it's been great. If you don't like this interview, you just don't like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I thank you all for inviting me, and, and, and gosh, I wanted to come up because I wanted to see the museum. I'd heard great things about it. You know, Roy... You know, uh, I told Roy, I said, man, you got to go up. You know, I'll really tell him now that I've seen it. You know, yeah, man, tell him to come up. You're missing the boat. We got to go see this, you <laughs> yes. know. And Bring we'll, him up. I'll, we'll I'll we'll do another interview with him in person, you yeah. know, because we didn't get to near what we wanted to oh, with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got so much more. Right. And, and and when you sit down face-to-face like this, it's, mm, yeah, it's a lot yeah. better. When you, when you walk around this place, you know, for me, walking around this place, it brought back so many memories, you know. I mean, you know. You showed me the picture of you know you, your granddad roping off off old black there at Pendleton huh. that great big picture yeah. up there you know the horse that my dad won a couple of championships and on the first horse you right tried. here in Pasco you won a world championship to steer on, on you know it's yeah. like oh my gosh that just kind of blows me away you know see seeing that and uh, um, uh, you know uh, it's it's pretty exciting stuff to see Joe Snively again. You know your uncle. I mean, Joe spent a lot of time with us in in the summers up in Fort Collins, and I, w- I was telling you a story yesterday about uh, one year uh, there at Laramie, Wyoming, at the King Merritt Memorial Steer Roping, which is usually towards the end of June somewhere. Um, uh, they brought some big steers in there that year that probably weighed seven, seven fifty. You know, had huge horns on them. I mean, they didn't tip them back or wrap them or anything back then. They were huge. And uh, uh, at that steer rope, and they had paramutual betting on the steer ropers. Oh yeah. You know, so you could go down and place a bet every go round. You know, who was going to win first, second, third. You know, fourth. You could, you know, you could parlay them. You could quinell them. You could pit first. Just like a horse race. Just like a horse race. And so every go round, you know, they gave the crowd time to go place their bets. You know, and then, and I mean, the crowd was was up cheering their guy on. You know, and uh, they had a they had a little more interest than normal in and the rope. And and. I was always the runner in between the ropers and the and, and <laughs> the, the betting pots and the bet and the okay. You know, I'd run, I'd run over there and place the bets. You know, and I asked my dad. I said that year, I said, "Well, who are we going to be betting on?" You know, he said, "This is one guy we're going to bet on today." And I said, "Who's that?" And I said, "He said Joe Snively." He said, "He's the only one that can rope these big horns all day long. He's the only one that can catch four or five of these in one day." He said, "Everybody else going to be using two loops," but he said, "Joe won't." <laughs> he said, "At the end of the day." He said, "We'll make money betting on Joe all day long." <laughs> so, and, uh, Jimbo, you gonna ask him the question on calf ropers? He's seen them all, right? You right. gotta ask him. Uh, if you were making a Mount Rushmore calf ropers, who'd you put on it? Oh wow! You can only pick four, though. I can only pick four. And don't be and put your dad on it if you want to, because he's one of the all-time greats. He can be sure. on there. He no. definitely deserves to be on there if you if you want him on there. Yeah. So. 
We're trying to get this need, math. We're I trying need, to get this deal done. I need five. No, you can only have four. That's I need a tough five. Deal. <laughs> That's what's hard about it. This is Rushmore. Yeah. Of calf ropers. Well, we got the mountain picked to, out. Toots was the roots, <laughs> so Toots has got to go up there. Toots Mansfield. And oh gosh, you know he's got his own saddle tree named after him. Right. You, right. you know Toots Mansfield. So we can let that one slide. You in. know you got to put Toots up there. You got to put Dean Oliver up there. He's got more calf rope championships than anybody in the books. He's tough. You it's gotta tough put, to leave him off of there. You, you got to put Roy Cooper up there. You have to put him on there. I can see his face up on that rock with that smile. Oh, he looked right. great up there. <laughs> he looked great up there. <laughs> you know. Well, those are three no-brainers that I will always come up with, but that fourth one's a hard one. That that fourth one, you know, I mean, it's a toughie. I mean, you know, where's where 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 do you how do you pick between you know? Cody, Fred, and Joe Beavers. <laughs> how do you pick? How do you yeah. pick that last face? For you got to leave them in the conversation for sure. Yeah, I you mean, have to. Your dad's got to be in that conversation. Yeah. That, that's a great question, though. If there was a Mount Rushmore and there was four, who who would you pick? Now, here again, people that are that are younger than me it'd be easier, you know, because mm. they didn't see Toots and they didn't right. see Dean, you know. So you know, they'd have Roy and Joe and Fred and Cody, and, and there it is, you know. Yeah. And and wow, what can you say? But for my age, man, I got I got to have Toots and Dean up there, <laughs> and, and, and then the and then and Roy, and then the and then for that last one, I'd just have to draw straws and and say I'm a I, I'll be I'll be putting the right guy up there no matter which one I draw. You know, you, know, you don't even have to be a world champion. I mean, you could throw a guy like Barry Burke up. I mean, who knows? Yeah, There's just yeah. so many names. Yeah, that's done so much for the sport. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, you don't have to just count gold buckles. You, you know, don't have to just, cut. You can use your own criteria. Yeah. But yeah. That's a hard question to answer. Yeah. That, that That's a tough one. It's a great question, though. It's a great question, though. Well, he grew up around a lot of steer ropers, too, Jimbo. Oh, I know. He's watched a lot of steer rope and probably roped several steers himself. we got to ask him the question on that. His dad was a world champ. Yeah. Mount Rushmore steer roper. Oh, Guy Allen, <laughs> yeah. he's your centerpiece. Guy, you got you have to put Guy on oh, there. There's gosh. no doubt about I mean, it. What 19 gold buckles? Is that right? Yeah. You know, uh, you got to have Guy Allen up there. Um, what about Bob Crosby? You know, I didn't see Bob. You know, I didn't see Bob that much. So I know, but he's hard to leave out of that conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, man, I got to have Sonny Davis up there. And I think we have to have Sonny on there, Jimbo. Yeah, you gotta have Sonny. I never really got to watch him rope, but you uh, gotta have him. For what he did for the sport, if nothing else, you know, just he was so exciting to you watch. You told me he's the best ever, so. Well, I said Olin Young was the best I ever thought. But, roper, yeah. but you said just steer roper all around. I thought you said Sonny Davis. Well, he was so exciting to watch. You, you just know, you told me Olin was the best horn roper. We're talking about steer roper here. Yeah, but I'm drawing a blank on. Um, uh, you could go Shelt Webster. You could go Clark McIntyre. You could go Everett Shaw. You can't, you you can't go, leave Everett Shaw. I was going to say Everett Shaw. You got to put him in yeah, there. Yeah, you can't leave got, him. Yeah, I mean, I mean Guy and Everett. You got to put up there. We could put Ben Johnson Senior on there. We could put, uh, you know, my 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 Mount Rushmore in the steer rope would be would be Everett and Guy Allen. There's two and and Jim or uh, 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 Sonny Davis. Yeah, you could throw Jim Davis on there. If you, want. <laughs> you could. Is yeah, that great? you could. My fourth one would be Olin Young, and 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 the reason I say Olin, he won a couple of steer roping championships. What about Trevor Brazil? Oh my gosh, you know he's unbeatable. 
What about Scott there, Snedeker? There's your now? Mount Rushmore, and then above Mount Rushmore, there's a whole place. <laughs> there's a place up there for one head, and that's Trevor. You yeah. know, so so you got to put him up there all by himself. You know, um, but yeah, I say Olin. The reason He's I say Olin is me out of this. He was such thing. a perfectionist. What about Ike Root? Oh my gosh, Ike was. You know, I got to meet Ike when I was a little kid. You know, so oh my gosh, you know, uh, I got to tell you a story about Ike. Um, gosh, when I was probably. 10 or 11 years old, Ike stopped by our house on his way to Cheyenne. And gosh, he was 85 then, you know. I mean, he, he was, you know, he was older than dirt then, you know. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really know that much about Ike Rude. So my dad got to tell me about Ike Rude, you know, and, and, and all that. And we were out there roping this, the dummy one day. And my dad being the trick roper, you know, He'd half ocean wave and rope the horns, you know, and and Ike was sitting over there watching, you know, and Ike he'd, he'd rope it, you know, and my dad'd do another trick, butterfly, and figure eight the horns or something, you know, and and uh, my dad did another trick and rope rope the horns again, and Ike looked at him and said, "I'd like to see him do that to a cow." <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see him try to do that to a cow. <laughs> you know, and, uh, they said I could rope just about anything he decided to throw his rope at. Oh my God! Holy moly! I heard he was a good roper. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to see Ike the time he roped that buffalo and tripped him. You know, <laughs> tied a buffalo down. That would have been pretty pretty neat to see. You know, yeah, I, those are those are great questions. I'd never thought about that, but those are great questions. Uh, well, that calf rope, that's a tough one. Well, that, yes. That's a tough one. Like I say, for me personally, seeing the era that I saw, you know, I got to go with the, a couple of the older guys. But, man, there's you're, you're leaving some guys out, you know. I mean. It's tough. Yeah. Real tough. I mean, my yeah. my my first the, the first year they had the finals at Vegas was, was Joe Beaver's rookie year. I mean, what about Altizer? Oh my gosh! What yeah. about him? What yeah. about Jim Bob? We could put him on there. Yeah, I mean, calf roping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's tough. You know, when when Joe cracked out, you know, there in in '85. Wow, you know, I'd seen him when he was amateur and down here a little bit. You know, when he was just, you know, he couldn't even drive. You know, he didn't even have his license. And and uh, um, but man, when he cracked out and came on the scene and did what he did, you know, man, it started a whole new. Whole new ball game then. So I love to watch him rope, especially when he got older. You know, as a fat guy, you know, mm -hmm. big guy. I'd like to see a big guy win like that. You know, first time I he'd rope him right there and then get down to him as fast as he could, which wasn't that fast sometimes. And then he just eat him up on the ground. Yeah. I think his first year he was like rookie of the year and won the championship. Yeah, I've been reading about him. You know, but I had never seen him. He didn't have the Cowboy Channel stuff and. And I went to a non-winner steer roping down at Smith Brothers, and he was there. And he was kind of fat, and hair was kind of long, and had his knee wrapped up. And I thought, is that the great Joe Beaver I've been reading about, you know? And uh, but man, that that guy is such a fierce competitor. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you guy know, can rope fast yeah, too. Just yeah. bam. Um, yeah, you know, he really he he, what I call just really a snake with that rope. I mean, you know. They're, they're at Vegas, you know, he could come across there and, and, and you know, he could get a calf anywhere out there, you know. Uh, I mean, if a calf went, I mean, at Vegas, the hard throw is when they come out and go left because the way you leave that box, if they go left, it just blinds you. You know, your horse is right there in your way. And, uh, 
boy Joe could just push his horse over there and reach over there and get them, you know, or if they were out in front of him, he could reach and get them. Boy, if they came back to that right in his wheelhouse, he'd have it on them so fast, you know, he'd have it on them so fast, you know, you, you couldn't blink, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, that in, you know, all the great ropers like, like Roy and Joe and Cody and Fred and, and you know, they were, they were good under any conditions, you know, whether short score, long score, big calves, little calves, they were good under any conditions, you know. And, uh, but boy, when they moved it out there, you know, that part of your game had to be spot on. I mean, I, I think, I won't name names, but I think when they move the NFR from Oklahoma to, to Las Vegas, they, they cost some guys some world's championships in the calf roping. I'm not going to name names, but but uh, there was two or three guys that I think if they left them in Oklahoma City, where you had to score them out there and go run them and tie them down, you know they would have won championships. And when they moved it out there, their game just wasn't geared for that, and uh, doesn't make them any less of a roper. It just I think it just kind of took a little advantage away from them. You know, it just wasn't in their wheelhouse. You know, Roy even said, you know, it took him a couple years, yeah, to, you yeah. know, to get comfortable out there. Right. And uh, uh, it does happen quick. I, I would you know, assume it, it it does. And what's what's so hard about it is it's so wide. It's short, but it's so wide. And at the back end, you got the bucking shoots, those yellow bucking shoots. So if you think about it from a from a calf or a team roping steer, a bulldog and steer, there's no depth for them to run to. You know, cattle are looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, there is no light at the end of the tunnel there. You know, it's just a great big yellow gate at the area. You know, to them, it's just so big and so bright there that once a, once a, uh, once a calf or a steer leaves the box and goes one, two, three, maybe four jumps, that hits them, and then they're looking to go back left or right. And in the calf roping, you know, man, if you don't have it on them by then, you rope them and, you know, you're jumping off going that way or going this way, you know. It just kind of messes your uh, your timing and your go up and your horses. It just kind of messes thing up. So if you can come across there and rope kind of going into the pocket, you know, going into it instead of hitting the pocket and roping, going into that pocket, you know, that's where Joe was so tough, and then Roy adapted and got where he could do it, and you know, and then Fred and Cody and Trevor, man, they could, they just eat them up because they, they scored so good and rode their horse so good and had their rope in, in position where they could get them right there. You know, they could get them, they could get them anywhere. There was a there was a guy out there that roped at the NFR, I don't know, seven eight years ago, Cade Swore. Yeah, and. Man, he, he roped out there one year and placed on eight out of ten calves, and, and he didn't win the average. Uh, the two calves he didn't place on, he broke the barrier on them, and it was seven on both them. But this guy, he had a, he was dialed in where when he came across that barrier line, he could rope them anywhere where they were at that second or third swing. I don't care if they were headed left of the wall, he could get them. He was in if the they zone. They were coming back to the right, he had them, you know, and. It made all the difference in the world. When you can come across there and get it on one right there, all the rest of it's just, you know, get down there and get them tied up, you know. Well, Jimbo, you got anything else for Mike today? No, just a great, uh, great history lesson there because he's seen so much, so many eras. Feel like we got rodeo royalty in the house today. Yeah, you do. I don't, you do. I don't know about that. <laughs> you do, and, and 
It comes from a long-standing rodeo family. They've yeah. nothing they haven't accomplished right. as a family. Right. right. I think it's just one of our better better podcasts. I learned a lot. Yep. Well, I really enjoyed it, and, and thank y'all so much for having me. I, I I hope I didn't get too passionate. Sometimes <laughs> talking about this, I get pretty passionate and 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 talk about you know the roping and stuff, and I still really enjoy watching and keeping up with it. And and uh, me and Royce, we stay in touch, and and uh, you know f- you know still stay in touch with a few guys that I used to rodeo with a little bit, you know. Uh, but stay in touch with Roy pretty regular, and that that's good. I always like to get a behind the scenes of what's going on with the boys you know clint cliff and tough oh yeah that's that's good to keep the keep up you yeah. know keep it keep in the loop there you know because yeah. a lot of times me and jimbo we we don't keep up with a lot of guys and we kind of fall out of the loop but we can see them five years down the road and it's just like we just saw each other yesterday that's the we, way the rodeo family is man things like what y'all are doing here with this podcast it's just you know it's 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 great for rodeo in general it's great for roping and uh uh, you guys are being commended for what you've put together here, and uh, and I think there's going to be more and more guys reach out to you guys saying, "Hey, I'd love to come. I'd love to come interview with you guys. You know, I'd love. I've got some great stories to tell." And well, and send I'll, them on, Mike. We'll, I, I, we'll I will. I, I will. You know, lots lots of them. So anyway, thank you all for well, having me so much. Enjoyed it. All these young guys got to remember where they came from, Jimbo. That's right. Who got them to where they are now? Right. Who sure. made Rodeo though? Exactly. You know. That's what we're all about, and uh, appreciate you coming down, up here, down. That <laughs> sound like a typical Oakley. Thanks for coming down here, Mike, all the way from Texas. <laughs> but uh, we do appreciate it, and uh, we're proud of everything you accomplished, and we're proud of everything your dad accomplished, too, up here. Thank so, you. Uh, I appreciate that. And until next week, this has been Cowboys of the Osage Podcast. Here's our sign-out song, Jimbo. Okay. Stories like long lost friends, rodeos and late night bends, history before our time, round pens and pasture rides, cowboys of the Osage. Like long lost friends, rodeos and late night bends, history before our time, round pens and pasture rides, cowboys of the Osage.